near Memphis. Uh, cotton country, rice country. Uh, What's it the most interesting thing is uh, probably the music. Levon, who, uh, who came from around there? Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins? Sure. Uh, Muddy Waters. King of country music. Yeah. Elvis Presley. Uh -huh. Johnny Cash. Bo Diddley. That's kind of the middle of the country, you know. Right there, so... Bluegrass or uh, country music. You know, if it comes down to that area, yeah. and if it mixes there with rhythm, and if it dances, yeah. then you've got a combination of all those different kinds of uh, music. Country, bluegrass, uh, blues music. The melting pot. Show music. And what's it called, then? Rock and roll. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 21. I wasn't sure for a long time if it was episode 21. I kept wanting to believe it was 22, like we, even though we just did 22, like I just don't want it to progress. And this is episode 22. Yes. I don't know why I'm doing the, uh, the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous voice. I just wanted to slip into my library podcast introduction when I was introducing the podcast. What's that? It's as, I just I also say hello there. I say hello there. This is Alone in the Library Recommendation Podcast presented by the Clark Memorial Library of Bethany, Connecticut. I will be your librarian as always, Tom. I'm Tom, your librarian. Wait a always. minute. You're a fucking liar, though. You're not a goddamn librarian. <laughs> I am a librarian. You're not goddamn. You don't. Where's your, where's your MLA? I don't. I don't where's your one. MLS? I mean. I don't need one. It says on the website, staff associate librarian. Keep, keep talking. It's Clark Memorial Library. No, it's, it's, it. it's BethanyLibrary.org. I found I found it. So we are joined today, folks, for uh, very special reasons that will become clear later. With uh, our only ever guest, oh Chris Chris Gardner. No, he was our associate our, librarian. I told you, that's me. There, so so your your employment is lying. Sure. I don't it's, care. it's on the internet, so it must be true. Wait, that is JP, folks. You guys have a library system. <laughs> Who's that? Marcel. Marcel. Oh, Marcel's very nice. But she's Sarah the library assistant. Sure. Why isn't she called an associate librarian? I don't know. I didn't do it. It's just there. I didn't know I was that until it showed up. You did the website, didn't you? No. You're like, library director, Tom Nolan. That's WordPress. I don't go to WordPress sites anymore. <laughs> Clearly, as everyone can see from our webpage, which hasn't been updated in like 15 years. Like three weeks. But yeah, we're here, Mario. Hey. Hey, I didn't know that the Bill and Ted movie was going to be $25. Yeah, I thought it was going to be 20 That's expensive. I, I guess I'll, I'll get that one. I mean, I'll split it with you, but are you going to watch the Bill and Ted movie, JP? Not until it's less than $25. Well, I mean, like, you'll be able to watch it, because we're going to be renting it. That's so true, just, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. no, we will not be renting it. We will. Oh, is it a rental? I assume. I thought it was to own. Is it to own? I think Maybe. you just have to buy it. Well, I guess we, we just buy like how we own King of Staten Island now. Do we? Oh, maybe oh. I do. Oh. Did we share that one? I don't think we shared that one. I no, think no, I own that. Uh, did you? I think so. No, I rent. No, the twenty dollars was for rental. Ugh, I don't know. That was a rental cost. Do you do it. get to, you do own Milan, which I was surprised by. 
We're going to open one, yeah. Yeah. I really thought that was going to be like a two-day thing, but no, $30 is permanent access. And there's there's whispers that that might actually just be a thing you pay for, and other movies will pop onto the premium access thing. Ooh. That's very attractive. Yeah. Not that I care, because if they just kept putting movies on that they wanted me to pay $30 for that were worth... Like, if Black Widow showed up, I'd be like, all right, fine, yeah, $30. Do do we care about Black Widow? Sure. Why not? I don't. I don't care about Tenet, even. I don't care about Tenet. It's coming out. Their movie theaters yeah. are opening. They can buy tickets. You can buy tickets right now. August thirty first. It's it's releasing yeah, the, pre-release. Uh, the North Haven and Milford movie theaters are opening on the twenty first. That's awesome. I think some of the other, I think Criterion's maybe already reopened. I'm not sure of that, but no, it's it's a ill advised. Everything is. Oh, every yeah. doctor in the world saying this is a bad idea yeah, because you know. There's an article on the AV Club today saying. Please just don't go to the movies. Yeah, I'm not sure. What Interviewing we're... several doctors. Well, my yeah, plan yeah. is to see Tenet in theaters. In a drive-in theater. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Christopher Nolan will fucking melt in hearing that. That's not the right way to do it! <laughs> <laughs> He'll come in in his suit and just beat the shit out of Lawrence Kasdan and climb the 110 flights. Oh, is he our projector now? He's, oh, like, he's, he's our... not going to do a good job of it. He's our Christopher Nolan buffer <laughs> that we've installed. We're going to get together and just make a Bond film. Oh, yeah. No, that'll be good. That's Christopher Nolan's next next uh, project. But you know what is in a lot of Christopher Nolan movies? There's a lot of Hans Zimmer riffs. Ooh, I was going to say beards. There are some beards in Christopher Nolan Are there? Movies? Like Liam Neeson has a John one. John David Washington has a beard. Oh, in the trailer, yeah. I don't think Robert Pattinson has a beard. Ellen Page has a beard in Inception. That's right. No, she doesn't. Uh, yeah, we're drinking a beard brewing. Where are they from again? They're Stonington, Connecticut. Oh, yeah, Stonington. It's called Riff. It's got a Stratocaster on it, which will be important to people later in the episode. Let me read the back of this. It is a, with seemingly never-ending supply of hop combination... Oh, that's... No, that's... No, oh, that's, yeah. that's a part of the beer. Come up with new IPAs that utilize each hop's character. This Riff on the style features juicy notes of pineapple, passion fruit, and mango... Married with the more traditional character of pine and grapefruit pith. Riff Double India Pale Ale showcases Simcoe. Uh, what is that? A hotum? A hotum and Falconer Flight Hops. A combination... two, flights, two hops I don't think are real. <laughs> they just made them up. A combination that it is, that is sure to please. Well, Jesus. That's sure to please? That it's sure to please. That's a type No, of... that it, it's sure to please, yeah. Well, Keep let's, cold and drink fresh. Let's hope that their um, beer talents uh, outweigh their proofreading talents. <laughs> dink it. Dink, 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 dink. Smells good. I didn't like the smell, so I just spit all the beer back into the can. Oh, you can smell that pineapple. Oh, yeah, you do. That is all pineapple. Ooh, there's a lot of pineapple in there. Yeah, it's pineapple juice. I'm drinking pineapple juice. I wouldn't say that it's pineapple juice. It's like pineapple juice with a bit of like a, a hop, a pine, penny oh, hop pine. at the end. Yeah. Like a, yeah, it's like a pineapple outside and then like a hoppy center. It's clear, though. That's a really clear IP. For a double IP, that's super clear. I wouldn't say it's like easy drinking because like it's it's tart. It's got pineapple tartness. But like in terms of how the feel of it and how it goes down, it's really clean. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good beer. I it's like okay. it. okay. I keep waiting for that dryness. It feels like it wants to be a dry, but it's not. Although it has like the, it has a 
Like my tongue keeps processing it like a drug. I fucking I fucking love reading um, beer advocate reviews from like some of these people that are just that's hilarious insane people. I know what's beer the advocate. Look, so beer advocates where people rate beers, and so this is one review. Uh, sorry, a green man, nineteen from Connecticut. Don't beat the shit out of me. You probably can't because I'm strong. Um, <laughs> the look, one of the more crystal clear beers I've ever laid my eyes on. That's fine. It's beautiful. Deep resonating gold, grade A maple syrup. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, cracker this and, beer, yeah, and the smell is crackery, spicy, mosaic, and overripe bananas. Tropical. This beer? There's no banana. I get no overripe banana. I just get pineapple. Yeah, like a, like pretty forward. Yeah. He says the taste is sweet candied papayas and orange. Fair. Peach and passion fruit also fair. Spicy Maybe. and peppery, no. And mild of uh, vinous character. Character? I'm not sure. You mean viscous? What do you mean by vinous? But he doesn't mention pineapples at all. I is think that he like was a like reference to a wine thing. I think he was afraid of using the term. No, I think he meant to say resemble. Oh yeah, yeah, associated to wine. Hmm. But yeah, a lot of these reviews use the word nose. They use the word finish. Oh. You know, a very wine but review I, sort of stuff. I like yeah, the yeah. following review of Yes, I gave it a five for taste. Orange peel, lemon zest. Wow. Had this on draft at Willimantic Brewery in a tulip. <clears throat> Cloudy yellow appearance, but enticing. Mm. I like that review. Mario, Wood chipper. The... Yeah. You're you're from Connecticut. You're good. You're good. I think one of the things that happens on these review sites, though, is that like one person will post something, and then everybody else afterwards feels the need or just is compelled to also like post a similar kind of review. Or, contrarily, be completely the opposite of it. But you do feel compelled quite often. You don't have it. You feel you like you choice. read it, and you don't have a choice anymore. You just have to. You just have to write it. I picked up what you're putting down after a second. Uh, well, so the audience knows what we're talking about. We watched the movie. We watched is uh, this week. The new movie is called "She Dies Tomorrow." It is the new film from Amy Simons. Happy birthday. I just thought for a second when the lights went out that that was it. She could be right. What? You're worried about catching something? Is this Something really bad is gonna happen. A second, I was like, "Oh, compel!" I got you. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, the movie starts with Amy, played by Caitlin Sheel. She's hanging out at her house and doing, or a house, is doing weird stuff. Well, like drinking wine, laying down on the ground. The weirdest things you got. <laughs> Called the Saturday for Mario. Playing with a leaf blower. Not not Saturday. Looking That's up Tuesday. Leather jackets randomly. Just sadly walking around your house, playing with dirt. You know, caressing wooden floors in your in your house. Fun things like that. Uh, she calls her friend Jane. She really wants Jane to come over. Jane is played by Jane Adams. Always nice to see Jane Adams doing yeah. like movie stuff. You know what I mean? Get a big huge a nice 
juicy part to chew on. Um, she tells Jane that she's gonna die tomorrow, and she wants Jane to promise to turn her skin into a leather jacket, which that's is really a, kind oh, of deciding, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's a nice request, I guess. That's not one of the main things of this movie, really, but you know, um, it comes back around. Well, it does, but it's not like thematically or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. Like the leather jacket is not telegraphic things to come later. This is uh, not a skinning movie. I wish it was a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> um, Takes a real deep murder's turn at the end. <laughs> and she just skins everyone and turns them. Yeah, I wish we got to see that leather just jacket. A, just an Ed Gein movie. Um, Gein. She, Jane, is, uh, is an artist. Um, she goes downstairs and she's taking pictures of like molecular... Like uh, uh, reactions to things in your microscope. She, you know, it's really artfully Real done. Darren Aronofsky in the fountain sort yeah, of thing. Very. Well, I think that was one of the reasons I kind of connected with this movie is that, um, and then she all of a sudden starts to feel like she's gonna die tomorrow, and she goes to her brother's house, who's having a birthday party for his wife. And his brother's played by the always great, I suppose, Chris Messina, who I'm always happy to see. I don't ever think he does like a great job and stuff. I'm just. Like he, I like seeing him in things. He rises to the occasion all the time, and he's at, he's got like a charisma. And it's yeah. yeah. I don't know, always know that it's well used, but it's definitely there. But he's never like a detraction. No, 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 no. He's like he'll do what you need him to do. He's like a word journeyman, but he has like a certain like. I suppose like, so. I like I like I like seeing you, Christmasini. Then all of a sudden, I'm pretty sure I said before I didn't like seeing Christmasini, but I think it depends. Well, I just I want him in, in the right stuff. So in in sharp objects and. The Mindy Project, he can just go do other things. But those projects are terrible, so it doesn't matter. Um, all of a sudden, him and his wife, Susan... Thinking Birds of Prey, I said I didn't want to see him. Oh, see, I didn't see Birds of Prey. Um, him and his wife, Susan, they also start to feel like they're going to die tomorrow. And the two people that are at the birthday party, Brian and Tilly, also feel like they're going to die tomorrow. And everybody that comes... Like despite, despite what TV on the radio says. <laughs> And he's a guy that's going to come up. Um, Tunde, uh, I never get his last name. Tunde Adipipi. Yeah, he's going to come up in our, one of our conversations in a few weeks from now. Actually, probably more than a few weeks from now. It doesn't matter. Um, they all, everyone, as they get this feeling kind of washing over them, they're going to get to die. Uh, sees this kind of red and blue light thing, and they start thinking about stuff, and you know, a dread washes over them, some kind of thing. Um, and eventually, because this is kind of a, uh, you know, the structure's a little little um, off-kilter here. You get these flashback scenes where loose. Amy... A little loose. Not really, like, not super loose. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, like, with the flashbacks, but it comes in chunks. It doesn't... It's not rhythmically arriving, like, when you kind of expect it to arrive. It's, well, it's, like, narratively, like, who you're following doesn't make much... Right. Sense at points, but it's like doesn't it doesn't work against it. No, and the scenes, um, those scenes kind of last however long they need to last. Like mm. some of them are longer, some of them are shorter, and some of them don't reveal very much of anything. And some of, like, they're just kind of establishing character. Um, you get you get to know that Amy took some took some mushrooms with Craig when they were in they were in the desert, and they're sitting in hot tubs and they're playing they're playing go fish and they're ordering pizza, and then all of a sudden Craig starts to feel like he's got to die tomorrow and then we end up where I don't know we won't spoil it yet the movie resolves itself somehow kind of well tomorrow happens sort of tomorrow happens and even though they seem like they're over it 
maybe they're not over it. And maybe some people have done some things that they are going to regret when they come to their sentence. Well, I, think, I think Jane might be right about, about her, her fear. What? Which one? About her dying. I think, oh, I think yeah, Jane, yeah. I think Jane's probably correct. Well, you never know. You never know. I mean, it's, that pool turned very red, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're all, all, all three. So we're doing a, now a thing where we try to Siskel and Ebert a quick review, each of us, and then we have our discussion. Uh, JP, do you want to start with your feelings on it? We're putting you on, on the fucking razor. I know. And, well, I watched this while working. Um, so I was paying about three quarters attention to it, but it was also good. Good way to start a review, <laughs> yeah, for a film podcast. <laughs> but I also I wasn't pulled into it ever. Uh, it's just these days not the kind of movie I care about. I just didn't care about. Yeah, I just felt like for even for a short movie, hour and twenty minutes, just you don't get enough about the people, the characters. Not enough happens. It's just for me, it's not where I'm at. So, yeah, I, I think I think in a similar way, um, I, I agree on the fact that nothing is truly happening with these characters. But I feel as though all of them kind of serves a point towards a thematic purpose, and that's why this film really works for me. Um, I, I see this film kind of as like a representation of how people deal with anxiety um and not necessarily the anxiety of death i see a lot of reviews kind of like being like this is a movie about how you know people are going to have to confront death and i don't see it as that i see it as a certainty of the line uh, massive change um you know in the past i i've talked i talked about this last week uh with savages and uh diving bell the butterfly about how it kind of represented like that fear of death for me because i that came on with the fact a huge change was coming um and your three main groups of people have significant parts of their life that are happening that, it's, that represent change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Amy's still dealing with her substance abuse issues. She's confronted with somebody like Craig who's drinking quite a bit and still kind of like having this longing feeling. She kind of looks at the wine glasses, mm-hmm. the wine bottles that they're used for shooting with like a bit of longing. Um, you know, Jane, Susan, and Jason um, have this incredibly toxic relation interaction with one another where Susan uh, played miscast by Kate Asselton. I usually like Kate Asselton, but I, I don't want to interrupt. I got the impression, and I don't know how you felt about this, is that some of that scene was probably improvised. Mm. And I don't well, I agree because it's, it's really like this, the law of this group is mumblecore. Right, right. And I feel like um, she just didn't, she wasn't very good at, she just she's, didn't get that scene. She's a good comedic improviser. I don't necessarily know if she rises to like the dramatic. Occasion. Yeah. She just kind of repeated herself like over and over and over yeah. and over and over again. Um, but, you know, they represent a really toxic relationship where Jason's kind of, like, in a position where he's going to have to go one of two ways of still helping out his sister. We get the feeling is has suffered from some sort of... Something. ...issues in the past. Um, and then finally, with uh, Brian and Tilly, you know, you have a relationship that's run its course. Brian is dealing with some, you know, his father who's dying, mm-hmm. and Tilly has been wanted out of it for years and is pretty pretty selfish person overall. Um but all three of these people are dealing with things that aren't necessarily death, but they represent a huge, significant change in the life, mm-hmm. a huge, significant kind of like confrontation. And and for me, I was able to separate myself from caring about these characters because I didn't feel necessary. But it works in terms of fulfilling that thematic need, mm-hmm. and it's a really thematic film. And I think it's wildly successful there. I think Amy Cements is better than it has a lot of Shane Carruth kind of elements to it. 
Um, but she's a good director, and Shane Carruth fucking sucks. Um, yeah, take that, Shane Carruth. You didn't see that coming. You abusive piece of shit. Um, yeah, I... Allegedly. Uh, I even have to say yeah, that. Yeah, I suppose we have to say it. I don't want to mitigate mm. the culture now, right? But I feel like it's like in me now to have an argument about that. Well, if um, for some reason re- ever yeah. took off, you'd have to say that. I suppose so. <laughs> We're, we're going to do that a lot of that next week. Um, I agree. I, Fucking Miyaki man. Uh, I love this movie. Um, I think... I don't disagree with anything anybody said. I, 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 I think it was... I think the nature of the movie kind of made it so I didn't have to care about them. Like, I really just kind of liked hanging out in the... Uh, I don't know it's, it's listed as like a horror comedy in yeah, some in some spots, I and I was like, "Kind of funny," and it's not no. horror, but it kind of feels like a like a horror comedy. Like it has like this. It's totally similar. It's awkward. It's really it, no, yeah, it awkward, has... and it's it like steers into its awkwardness. You never get a really full grasp of what's going on. And I like when Amy first announces that like she's gonna die tomorrow. You're just like, in what context are you gonna die tomorrow? Because you clearly have you clearly have issues. Are you going to take your own life? Which she never, she never does. Um, although that person tie, the, wants to. <laughs> yeah, that person's trying their best. Um, although it seems like Craig does. Oh um, yeah, he definitely he shoots himself. Yeah. Um, although again, to to I think to this movie's credit, like they never come out and say anything. Like they just kind of leave everything ambiguous and floating you don't know how serious to take anything it's a little, little bit of magical realism at play here especially with the lights the way that things just come out like that yeah it's got a real richard stanley quality to it at points richard stanley uh he was like island of dr moreau he did color out of oh, space okay, yeah, yeah i gotta see color out of space it's oh it's on it's on hoopla it's fine it's fine oh you watch it yeah it's fine i'll still watch it i mean it's, it's worth a watch but you know what movie this movie what movie this movie reminded me a lot of was Mandy. No, oh, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's all atmosphere. Yes. And I thought most most of the time I don't like hanging out with people in movies of this kind, like the art, like the, the mumblecore genre. The mumblecore, but like the. Um, I mean, this isn't mumblecore, but it's definitely sharing. The, mumblecore people. I'm surprised Joel. I'm surprised Swinberg didn't pop yeah, up in this. The upper class. Like art, Slumber. art crowd type movies, you know what I mean? Where like everyone, people just have, like, oh, let's just this is my brother's desert place, and like, oh, for fun, I'm just gonna go to this dune buggy place, and then we'll have a dinner party with just two people in it and drink wine and talk about dolphin fucking, and like, you know, people have art all over their houses, and you know, I don't know what Amy does for a living, but she clearly has a lot of problems, but she definitely has enough money to afford this really nice L.A. ranch house with, like, a backyard and, you know, a fire pit and, like, all this other stupid shit. That's, um, like, a $1.5 million house. Is it? Like, the, <clears throat> given the idea of where she's living, yeah, that's, like, a $1.2 right. million so house. So, mo- most of the time, I, I find these people kind of, like, irritating and dull, and I find movies about these people irritating and dull, but I like the idea that it wasn't, it wasn't hewing to a um, materialist reason why anyone should feel like they are going to die tomorrow there seemed like there was a real existential beyond like the 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 general thrust of of a normal person's life well and kind of eating away at them which the which the i'm going to die tomorrow thing kind of 
kind of spoke to. I mean, it has a real being and nothingness quality mm. to it, doesn't it? Like like that that kind of Satra quality in terms. It's a it's an absurdist piece to well, me. The, it, so the exist- like, yeah. I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it existential. I call it like absurdist and, and necessary. I mean, at times it kind of hues to existential, but I think a lot of the reactions to it from your main characters are more of an absurdist sort of reaction. I suppose so, but they're all kind of justified. Kind of like you said, you know what I mean? Like, everyone, I suppose, has a reason why they would think, like, not just that tomorrow could be the day because it could just happen to anybody, but, like, maybe tomorrow would be the day. And that would be... All right. Yeah, and, and, not if, and not, if not all right, just like okay. And it's also go. it's also kind of a point too. I think that works for this is like when confronted with the idea of death, um, they all lead, they all resolve the problem that they're, mm. that they're facing. Uh, you know, it, whether it be in a horrendous way or kind of in a healthy way. I think like Brian and T- well, besides Brian, you know, Mercy his killing dad, yeah. his father. The way Brian and Tilly kind of separate is 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 kind of a healthy way. Yeah. Um, the way that Jason and Susan handle their issues with Jane. I like the um, stupid shit you say. Is yeah. Is is is. <laughs> which I thought that was fine, but like them, you know, trying to kill his sister is is much less fine. Um, and Amy, you know, kind of leaning into. I don't. I really know what was going on with Amy. I kind of saw her more as kind of a vessel to to carry everything else with. Well, I, I don't. I don't know if like her leaning into the fact that she's just okay with using substances um, is the point, and I don't think it is. No, I think it's just that she's high, so she's her reaction to stuff is totally clouded by the fact that I she's, think it's a release. Maybe that's what it is. It's, it's like she has. I feel as though she's had this problem. She's had a substance abuse problem because of, the, because of the guilt. And I want to call it guilt over like the abortion or whatnot. I do love the line of, it wasn't a baby, it was just a cluster of cells. Mm-hmm. It's like, that was a fucking awesome line. Um, but she has this like guilt of previous decisions. Necess- you know, possibly, you get the idea that like, you know, she wasn't able to afford a house before because of things stemming from decisions prior in her life. Sure. Um, and maybe like that substance issues played a role in that. Yep. Um, but now... It feels like at an end where she's saying, I'm okay, I'm not okay, and whatnot. It feels like she's at a position now where she kind of wants to continue to live. You know? like like, And that's kind of like the leather at thing the for me. At the very end? Yeah. The mm. leather thing for me is like she wants to continue. Like mm. she's resolved the thing. And it's, it's how each person is dealing with it. You know, like cutting somebody out of your life or, you know, affably in a weird sort of absurdist way separating. But there's... The Brian and Tilly thing is, is still kind of... Shooting your sister, and then your sister ending up at... <laughs> stabbing, stabbing her. Michelle Rodriguez's house. Um, but, you know, like, Which is... Amy ends up... Amy ends up at a position <laughs> where... Um, yeah, she keeps looking younger. It's insane. Uh, I didn't know what she was... It was great when she showed up in this movie, because I was just like... She's also... I saw it in the credits, and I was like... She used to be terrible, but she's like... She's like, so good. She's getting good. Like she's not even in too. this movie when she was in it. I was like, oh... She's fucking selling this totally random interaction. And, but she's doing it like she's like the been the only good parts of these like Fast and Furious sequels. Like she's like found tone. Like ever since Listen, Aviator, she was on my eight, Avi- Ever since Aviator, yeah, ever since she, Avatar. Oh yeah, she was an Avatar. And, and she's like her and Joel David Moore, like the only good parts of that movie. Yeah. Um, I forgot. No. I, I always forget Avatar exists, and then someone always reminds me of it. That there's five of them coming. 
Uh, Those are never coming out. They're, they're in product. They're done with production for one yeah, of them. They're all course are in production. Uh, but no, I, I feel as though like they, they each deal so differently, and this is why like like tonally this movie so works for me. Mm. I don't know how how you felt about it, like in terms of the tone of it. I, I know you didn't get close to the characters. Uh, JP, I'm talking to JP right now. I'm just <laughs> randomly <laughs> well, he putting, would answer putting, putting would words know. in Tom. Um, but how did, like did you respond in any way to, like tonally to how it made you feel, or is, is there anything with that? Oh yeah. I... I got into, you know, that sort of aspect of, you know, the way, you know, people were responding to it. Uh, I did, I did have the idea that, um, you know, you, you kind of came close to it. Um, this idea that, um, you know, we as humans are like the only things on earth Mm. cursed with knowing we're going to die. And that, um, and that this was sort of not necessarily that you're going to die tomorrow, but just this sudden realization that you're going to die like because we kind of obscure it yeah daily life you try not to think about it what have you but um i did i did get into that i wonder something about that though yeah is the dolphin fucking discussion (laughs) is that also like playing a role in like because because like there's a real point to be made in this movie about the grandiose position humans put themselves in mm-hmm. on the sense of like we're the only people that know we're gonna die but like they really heavily mention dolphins and like what they do and like having really human-like qualities it reminds me of the scene in the cove i want to say mm-hmm. uh where well, it talks you're gonna about say cone heads but where the dolphin like who was in captivity i think it's it's either blackfish or the cove it's one of those documentaries that mid-2010 documentaries about how we treat mm-hmm. marine life like shit where the dolphin in captivity kind of like rested its head on its owner. I, I've talked about this before mm. on the podcast and like committed suicide, mm. basically, like yeah, stayed yeah. out of the water. Um, and there's a lot of like discussions about like how self aware dolphins are. Like, I'm sure that was part of the. Like, thing. I wonder if that's like a real intentional purpose to like. Because a lot of this is just kind of like battering down humans being like, you're also not that special. Like, right. there's things there to appreciate, but like, you're not. Well, I think one of in the, the big picture. Of I it. think one of the existential dilemmas that this brings up in regards to those statements is that none of these people are young; they're all middle-aged. I mean, maybe maybe Kate Shields young, maybe Amy's you know younger than I don't know how. Well, all of her. I don't know how old Kate all of her Taylor Taylor Dudley, the roommate of, of Michelle Rodriguez, is, is fairly young as an actress. Okay, but everyone else is not like they're not young people. You know, what I mean, they're not in like their mid twenties. Um, yeah, like Kate Caitlin Shields, like. A year older than me, like your mid thirties, okay. early forties. Um, they all, at some point, are confronting. Like I think one of the things in the COVID era, I suppose, you know, they talk about this a lot on the news that like young people don't mind the idea of COVID. They're just like, I'm just gonna get it, and I'm gonna live forever, and then I'm just gonna go on with my life. So let's just have our COVID parties, and you know, we'll all be fine. Um, are you are you just going to bash the Zoomers right now? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But I'm saying these people are kind of past that. So now no, they yeah. have there's real ramifications to their their passing, or there should be real ramifications to their passing. And I think one of the things that they're conflicted about, or one of the things that like some of the existential crises that uh, like um, are born out of the idea that like I'm going to die tomorrow, which specifically the terrible George Lucas's doctor is that like he's a specific, I, I want to bring that up. He's a He's like the one person in this, I suppose, that's like a significant person or significant person. And, you know, he's a doctor. Everyone else is an artist 
or just someone who drinks or just some kind of white collar, you know, upper class, you know, garbage hole that all our dune buggy driver slash horror film director. Listen, Adam Wingard, two, t- two time pivotal film list or zero episode list. You know, he was great. Scribe. I he actually was, liked him a lot. He was his, great. his face is so puffy. I don't remember really judging him. He's charismatic. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something. There's something to lose. And I think one of the great things about this movie is that you can kind of watch those people confront the idea, like, "What? How do I feel about losing this?" And I think that's where the Jason and Susan characters they come alive a little bit when they go to their kid, and they that's the reason they they're willing to lie to each other. And that becomes the resolving point of their marriage because they do have this, they have this kid. You know what and I mean? that's the only reason they want to kill Jane. Is right, because... because she fucked up their kid. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about, let's finish with, with Josh Lucas. I, um, I, I like his performance. He's fucking terrible. No, I like it. I like it. What's I think it works. With, why is his hair the same color as his face? <laughs> that's it. That's nothing. Okay, really quickly. Adam Wingard, I apologize for saying your face was puffy. It, you were great in the but movie. But Jane Adams is like, but, oh, you're so handsome. What was she looking at? Is there another person in like, the other side of the room that's actually handsome? That is not a, a, a critique of a performance, Tom. But I don't you can't think just his say performance is very good either. He's just. Like, I think he's fine. I don't think he's. I don't. I think he's. He's, he's rising like he's to the go level to the of everyone. He seems really constipated, and it's like bugging the shit out of no, him. No, he just seems. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I. I honestly don't remember who that is. He's, he's the, the doctor. Do- the doctor. Yeah, I don't. That must have been the one quarter I missed. J- Jane Adams' character. Did you watch this? Be <laughs> great. He's like. This is the movie about, like, the space monster, the yeah, Russian yeah. one, right? <laughs> this is that movie about the boat you told me to watch? Yeah. We're just, um, just talking about Jaws? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think it's, I mean, his performance isn't as good as, like, Jane, Jane Adams and uh, Caitlin. Like, I initially kind of felt Caitlin Shield wasn't, because she usually plays this external traumatic character. Like, she's great in, um, it's a movie that almost made by, like, Zero List instead of, uh, your next is the sacrament by Ty West. Mm. Um, they kind of both did the same things, but I just like your next more for a comedic level. I have weird feelings about the sacrament. That may be a bonus episode. Did you see the sacrament? No. I love sacrament. Yeah, we should do a sacrament because I'm very conflicted about the sacrament. Like the choice of the vice thing was such such a good good choice. Yeah, we'll just talk about. I love that. everything in that. Is this something recent. It's uh from like 2013. Yeah. You get the dude. Who, the villain in that movie is the is the guy who call who heads. I guess. Oh, oh, in um. I just love the. I, I didn't realize that until a couple weeks ago that he's yeah, the he, bad guy. He's just like Tanner. He's fucking great in that. He's yeah. he's got. I'm sad he didn't become something. He's pretty old. Yeah, but I'm sad he didn't become something as an old person. Oh. Um. Well, he's yeah. He's the heads I get. I mean, the guy. unfortunate part of that is like I like Joe Swanberg, but Joe Swanberg's not the best actor. He's a good director. Uh, but no. Back to the point. I I think like like Caitlin Shield like is usually playing the traumatic character, but she. Like outside trauma, and I think this character required a lot of internal trauma, and so I was initially not buying that. Mm-hmm. But towards the end, she just kind of sells that. She sells like this kind of like there's external things that have happened to her, but that's become an internal thing. Um, and I agree, like Josh Lucas isn't rising to her R. Jane Adams level, like those. And I would actually even say Michelle Rodriguez, who doesn't have a lot to do, but like they're her level as she well. She gets bleeded on. And just, like, just, just sits there. Just looks at it, yeah. But like, just the way she just says, like, on this trees. <laughs> you know. Um, she's not hitting that, or even, or sorry, Tucker Adley, who's a great fucking actor, who's just, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, and 
That makes me sad. No, he doesn't. I, I kind of wish. Does he keep he, deleting it or something? No, he just hasn't become something. He just huh. he's no, he just hasn't taken all. He hasn't hit that mumblecore stride. Like all those performances are super incredible for this movie and carry it. Josh Lucas isn't doing that, but I think Josh Lucas is rising to what is asked of him. I'm, I mean, it's I'm every every small. To acknowledge my bias here. You're never going to convince me. Just say no to Josh Lucas. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm going to be honest with you. If Josh Lucas showed up on the Democratic convention tonight, I would be fucking angry. Like, I might not vote for Joe Biden if they invited Josh Lucas to speak at the convention. Don't, you shouldn't say that. Why? It's true. I'm anti-Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas, if it was, if it was Biden Lucas, you wouldn't vote for Biden? Nope. I'm no. out. You don't want Josh Lucas to be president? I just blew up. I just made a big, huge... Puff. Josh Lucas, if you ever run for president... Assuming you're a Democrat, I assume you are. Come on, Josh Lucas. You I will get one thing right. I will, no, you're you're from Little Rock, Arkansas. That's that's kind uh-huh. of a stretch. Um, I'm hoping for the best, but if you run for president, <laughs> I will throw I in. The- I will throw you a throwaway primary vote. If you get through the primary, I'm voting against you because I assume you're probably not going to be good at your job. But I'll give you a primary vote. That's nice. Just in protest of Tom. For saying you're going to... Well, I guess it's fair. In Connecticut... How about I, this? It, Tom, if you were in a swing state... Oh, okay. If you were which, in... Which swing Connecticut. State? If you were, like, in Michigan. Not Michigan this year. Let's say you're about, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania's a good one. Or Ohio. Right. Yeah, if you were in those states... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Josh Lucas was in the DNC, you would still vote for Joe Biden, I assume. Yeah. But... Yeah, How about okay. this? You can send... And I will help you draft a strongly worded 10-page letter the first day Joe Biden gets in the office. Okay. Being like, yeah. what was that Josh Lucas thing? What was that about? I'll do it. What was that about? Yeah. Okay, good. You know, you know he almost ruined Hulk? <laughs> Angley's Hulk would have been great if it wasn't for Josh <laughs> Lucas. Yep, that's it. You know, I actually really don't like Josh Lucas either. Like, I just I tend to think he brings stuff down because I just think he kind of has that droll... Arkansas-ness. I still think he's very good. But yeah. um, I thought he was fine in this. I think everyone was... Well, was I think everyone that needed to be fine was fine. I don't really want to believe Besides this point. Besides the Kate thing. He, he... I got the idea of him in that role. And I was kind of like, oh. But he sells what he has to do. I guess, Mario. Come on. I he sells suppose. his indifference to Jane's problem. And then has the disease overtakes him. He just really looks like he's got a stomach problem. It doesn't seem like he's like this got is, an internal crisis. The this internal is like, crisis is like intestinal. I'm, even if, if Julia Roberts had been in Josh Lucas's role, I think I would have been more accepting. Mario, right that would have been awesome. If Jane Addams <laughs> was like, you're so attractive and tried to kiss Julia Roberts, and then Julia Roberts ran off to do we have no idea what because she was Talk afraid five, she was going to die tomorrow. Five Owen. <laughs> Never seen a heart. It's like a fist covered in blood. Actually, he should have been the doctor. And he should have just been like, you're a fucking idiot. And it's like, why isn't the disease overtaking you? Because you're a fucking moron. Yeah, that ain't good. I would um, say, yeah, I'll say yes to that. I'll vote for that. I'll vote for that scene for president. One last thing. Do you see Pontypool? No. Ever? Either of you? Oh, well. It's felt like a remake of Pontypool at points for me. What's that? It is a film. Uh, it stars Stephen McCaddy. It's a Canadian horror film. Mm. He plays a radio DJ. Um, and there's something in language that infects people, mm. and it causes people to like speak gibberish and eventually go into like a zombie sort of state. Um, 
and they have to keep saying like nonsense words to, like cure it uh but this like thing carried by language or by position like i was just like oh this is like a better pontypool you know what's so funny that you so mentioned amy you're... cements you're better than the movie pontypool which i actually think is not bad anyway <laughs> so we will be back with mario's Yes, yeah, of course. 21? The reason... Now I'm confused. I, I don't think JP is here to talk about Battleship Potemkin. What? God, you just spoiled it! You fucking spoiled <laughs> I it! I know. We'll be right back. <laughs> so as I said previously, said previously, my number 21 is uh, Sergi Ianstein's 1925 Battleship Potemkin. The reason uh, this film shows up on my list is, is, is an interesting one. Um, this is the, the silent film uh, that I most closely hew to. Mm-hmm. And it was the first silent film that I saw without a real pretense of trying to find a reason to come close to it. Um, come close to it, you mean like, like, like to, get to, close to, to, to it? Get close to it, to, to, to make it... It was the first silent film to like uh, shift me to 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 really leave an impact on me. Mm-hmm. I artistically could appreciate silent film before then, um, but I was there was always a real divide, uh, and the way that happens is is quite interesting. I see Battleship of Tenkin at about one p.m. on a Wednesday in my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during my English history block. Oh, we're going to have a lot of similarities. At, at Douglas High School uh, in, in Minden, Nevada. Do you want For to do a s- shout out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Shout out to whatever mascot you have? <laughs> the tiger. No. Um, I was student body president too. Don't forget that, ladies. That's student funny. body president. One in a landslide. 900 to 200. <laughs> 900 um, to 200? Jesus Christ. And then like somebody else ran. They got like 30 votes, but they didn't really... I don't remember what they did. That's 1,130 people. Yeah. Like, shh, shh, that was a lot. It was a lot. It was, it was my proud moment. It was it's a big school. Everything after that was just a... Yeah, it was a ranching well, school. Well, you lived in the desert. I lived in a ranching community. It was the only high school in um, about 50 square miles. Oh, so that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. So it was, about, it was a high school for about 40,000 people. Hmm. Like a population of 40,000. Oh, okay. So it ended up being about 1,400 kids in there. Um... But we, for some reason in this class, in this high school, we would have our, you know, we'd go to our separate classes, but English and history were combined into mm-hmm. a two-hour class, a two-hour block every other day. Because they said English and history hew so close together, which I, I think is fair. That's nice. yeah. that's a, I think that's fair and smart. Um, and we did a unit 
on propaganda in history. This is not propaganda. <laughs> um, and so we would read, so we watched some of the old Donald Duck cartoons. Uh-huh. Like, I appreciate the fact that, like, Red State, Red County, I should say, Red County, Douglas County showed propaganda from World War II made by America. Mm-hmm. Um, the Donald Duck kind of, you know, World War II cartoons, they showed, we watched um, Triumph of the Will. Mm-hmm. And we watched Battleship Potemkin. And the interesting thing that happened with Battleship Potemkin was the fact that... And I'm not leaving a part for you to even put a clip in. I just realized that. I, I, I already I have a part. Okay, nice. I, mean, I don't know what I would put there. <laughs> um, the interesting thing that happened that day was that, like, you see, everyone's all... The Donald Duck things, and we're kind of like, ugh, that's like... We understand the point, but it felt dirty. And everyone saw... Oh, yeah, leave it to America to do propaganda with a cartoon character. Yeah. Everyone saw Triumph of the Will and was like, that's just bad. Yeah. Take that, Leslie. Um, and everyone saw Battleship Potemkin. They're like, it's a lot of good points. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of like saw that as something different. Like everyone in this class. And I don't know if it's the intent of my teacher. I don't remember her name, but she was, pretty, she was a pretty solid teacher. But everyone kind of left that going like... We know where it goes. It wasn't necessarily executed right. Like like the world post, you know, the, the communist world that, that would come doesn't hew to the world of Battleship Potemkin. But the world of Battleship Potemkin felt right. Were a bunch of Bernie Sanders voters it was, made that year? I, I assume so. Like, <laughs> well, actually... I remember everyone being super into... Um, I, I convinced a lot of people at that point to be Joe Lieberman people. Oh, Jesus. Mario, what are you doing? It's a red state. That's the best I could do. That's true. That's I, couldn't, true. I couldn't get him over, over John Kerry's side. I'd be like, Joe Lieberman. Imagine if we got Joe Lieberman. I mean, I could have sold them Al Gore, but I couldn't. Yeah, that's a tough one. I ended up still... You voting. were in a tough spot. I still ended up voting for George W. Bush. It's my one... Wait... We talked about so this. Second, second term Bush. Mm. We talked about this. It was, it was a yeah. We, it was, we don't need to talk about it. This is my mistake. All right, um, but everyone left that guy and felt right. Mm-hmm. You know this 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 real strong film and Battleship Temkin. If you haven't seen it, tells the story of, of of mistreated shipmen on a boat dealing with massive amounts of authority who are mistreating them and treating them with abuse despite the amount of they work and the people around them, the people in the higher positions of authority don't, and they treat them like garbage and they try to convince them that's not true and eventually they kind of lead this revolt that kind of spreads throughout the land uh, leading to kind of the army bearing down and, and killing a bunch of innocent townspeople. Um, everyone kind of came into that, left that movie not seeing, seeing obviously propaganda, um, I mean, which it which it is obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they left it feeling compelled by it because it, it's it, beyond being just this expertly crafted movie. It does set for me the reason it's here is it does set for me down the path of where I am now politically. Mm, um, interesting. I do have a book downstairs called <clears throat> Private Government: The Way Like Business. It's, it's a it's a Elizabeth Anderson, Private Government, How Employers Rule Our Lives and Why We Don't Talk About It. Like, this movie 
until this point, I was actually a super, cons pretty fairly, cons what I call now a super conservative person. I was probably more hewing towards libertarianism, mm -hmm. but I was definitely for like small government and everything. And this movie made me go like, wait a minute. Why should we have like, not small, I was actually wasn't small government. I was, I was more like, we need an authority to like establish everything down. Um, to keep people in line mm. sort of thing and like pro-business I was really pro-business I always talked about the cogs about how people are just cogs in a machine for business As a, in a good way? in a good way oh and this movie made me go like wait a minute but somebody's controlling that machine and that person's probably a fucking idiot it's weird because and I'm gonna interrupt you and I'm sorry that I'm gonna interrupt well, you fine. do you have a do you relate like the thinking that came from or you're you're thinking pre- Battleship Potemkin, I don't know how pre, whatever, to, like, the Metropolis thing? Because you have, like, your silent films are very, like, political. And, you know what I mean? Your and, attachment to those cabinet, films. And Cabinet of Dr. And Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, they're very political. I mean, that's not, that, Cabinet of Dr. Gary's not super political. It's not political, but uh, those, but it, um... No, I do. I, I, I hew a lot of, because it, it, both of those films have, at, like, for me, Metropolis also kind of builds up where I'm now with my post work um, and um, transhumanism beliefs. That's, that's going to be our other. We're going to do. We're going <laughs> to. We're going to do beers, books, and transhumanism once we're done with our list. Um, but no, it, it set me down a path where I was like, I was really pro business and really pro people just working to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. um, but underneath, like the aspects of capitalism, I thought as capitalism worked. And now, you know, I'm reading a book called, like, Private Government, How Employers Rule Our Lives and Why We Don't Talk About It by Elizabeth Anderson. Because, you know, I'm in a position now where I'm like, oh, right, the people who are usually in control, and this movie starts that, are fucking idiots or don't care about the, the society in general. They care about, you know, what either profits them or about what leads to a certain goal. And this mm -hmm. movie shoes that in, in an incredible way, like Einstein. Um... <clears throat> He was an incredible visual storyteller. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Odessa Steps has been replicated how many times now? But beyond Odessa Steps, it's just that moments of the thing. Odessa Steps doesn't really actually respond as much to me. Like, mm. the fact that the camera pans does, what responds to me is the doctor leaning in, going, just maggots. You just got to brush them off. Not worms, just maggots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, oh, that. That sounds exactly like, uh, at the time, uh, I watched this the same time the Firestone controversy was happening. Mm -hmm. Remember the Firestone tire controversy? Mm -hmm. um, it was like the Ford Explorers that had the Firestone tire stock tires on them, and they would explode and flip the, the cars, and there were several mm -hmm. deaths no, 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 with no, them. I don't remember. Um, Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I think it was Firestone. It was either Firestone like Bridgestone. It was oh, one yeah. of those companies. But like the companies were just like, it just happens. It's just an accident. You know, it just is you know, don't worry about it sort of thing and try to push it off and push it off. And this is a couple years after the settlement uh, with the tobacco companies for billions of dollars that led to, like, the fact that I was able to basically go to college for free mm -hmm. from the fact that the tobacco companies said, like, you know, smoking's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, and, like, this movie spoke to me in the fact of, like, oh, people often in positions of power don't give a fuck about the societal good. Mm. And... The language of this movie clarified that. Nothing I had read before, nothing I had seen before clarified it. This, and then a little bit later, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle 
which I have a copy of right there, uh, which I've read like the novel I've read the most, and then also you know Orwell's um, Animal Farm and 1984 mm-hmm. defined for me the fact that like authority is often benevolent, and this is the movie, the highest movie I have that that makes me a political being. Mm. Because it's propaganda, for sure. I can see through that. Lenin was a piece of fucking shit, because he was an authoritarian himself. But the idea of the workers taking over and working as a unit, that made sense. And everyone together in that class, all but like two people, sat there going like, this makes sense. Mm. I think our teacher attended for that to be the response. Because she was like, she didn't like... Bite, fight back at it. She's like, "Oh, that's that's good to hear." Was she doing like this while you guys were watching? No. Somebody said like triumph of the will made Hitler look really good, and she really cut that one down quickly. But when people said try like battleship Potemkin, um, and he wasn't joking either. This this person was like, this person was like, "Oh, I can understand. He makes a really sympathetic character." Well, it's the same people that um, think that Donald Trump is really good because like they really respond to authori- authoritarian like. You know, voices and leadership. Yeah. And they're just like, well, yeah. Someone who's so matter of fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I'll do that. Sure. And, and, you and, seem like you have it all together. And then we watched these actually in back to back classes. So we watched Triumph of the Will and then Battleship Temkin. And they're, they're polar opposites. Of well, yeah, because in terms Triumph of like, of the Will, if you're not inclined to that, you watch it and you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like, this is. And it's not saying, Triumph of the Will is not saying anything. No. It's, 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 it's not even providing an argument. It's just like, this is the way it is because it is. Battleship Potemkin has a plot narrative in the fact that everything kind of leads down a path. You can kind of see everything is, is believable in the sense of, you know, like obviously it's, it's built to an extreme. Yeah. Like, like the man being on his back being beat. And I love, I love the fact that Einstein was, was so willing to show, like 1925, show, so willing to show a man crying mm-hmm. for getting beat yeah. and yeah. not making that like, emasculated like he was being emasculated by being just being beat but not like talking down to him being like this is disgusting and he's a he's a human being and he's allowed to cry for this and like this is a it's not we're not gonna mock him but we're gonna rise him up and uh, so yeah things are taken to this 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 hyperbole Mm -hmm. but they resonate so true because it's it's it is something that hues to something you see in real life sure like it might be it turned up but it is still close to the things you see every day. Well, here's what I, I think. One of the, the, it's the most effective piece of like propaganda, I think. I, me and JP were talking about that uh, when we were waiting for you um, to get here. Is that I think it was it's you know a silent film and it is what it is, but it's it's very effective in what it's trying to do. And I think one of the things that you hit upon that you kind of said, and, but I'm just going to like change the, the the way that you said it a little bit is that um, the language here, the literal language. You know, the, the 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 white stuff that comes up on the black screen is the inner s- cards is so fucking simple. No, but I mean like the yeah. literal words. Oh, yeah. is so simple. There is no beating around the bush. There is no kind of like meta commentary on something specific. It's literally just like this is good and this is bad. The words, but it's juxtaposed with like a really intense and complex visual language. And which makes it very dramatic. The visual language is very dramatic, where the 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 the, the language language is not dramatic at all. It's like this, you know, join us, brothers. Mm. You know, that's it. And then, so like the two parts for me that really resonated were that one part of the address step. We'll talk about in a second. But then the end of it, 
when they like do the they do the call out. You know, they got the flags going. The uh, the join us brothers, and they're just waiting. And it's a silent film, and the music is fucking screaming the whole time. By this point, you know what I mean. Yeah. It changes. Just like it's at uh, it's at eleven. Violins at eleven, just being and it's just you just have these faces of guys just waiting to see what happens, and then that guy starts to smile. You know what I mean? That really crooked kind of peasant smile. His teeth are all fucked up, and he's like really tan, and he's like his face is deeply lined, and there's a bunch of people around him, but he just has that smile when the other ships kind of agree to join their to join their thing, and the the. The power of this movie comes in the fact that in a lot, I think, of silent films, especially even silent films that came after this, because Metropolis is like four years after this, right? Oh, uh, no. This is 25, but I thought Metropolis is 29? 27. 27. So, like so it's years, just two years, yeah. doesn't matter. But Fritz Lang's using a lot of gimmicks mm-hmm. in sets and in lighting and like all this, in, in effects and things like that. He is, Eisenstein is just using faces. And he's just using composition. Oh, and that's the thing and he does. Like Ivan the Terrible does the same thing. Yeah, and so those those shots, unmatched in their like terror and beauty, of those boats in the in that foggy water. You know what I mean? Those ultra contrasted shots with like the gray of the fog, uh, and you know that's the like the sun is behind it, so it's like it's got a little bit of. Um, you know, gradations in, in like the nature of the gray and just against the black boats. You know what I mean? And that's that's just so incredible. But then you see a lot of that stuff later mirrored, not necessarily in the composition of the shot, but just like in how he uses color and how he uses lighting and like the Odessa steps up. Those steps are totally white. And the faces of the people um, are totally are totally white. Almost to the point of being blown out. Why are they totally white? It's to sell that fucking shot when after the kid is shot Mm. and the mother picks him up and just walks him up the stairs and the camera pans at an angle as the mother crests the steps right in front of the the shadows of the soldiers. You know what I mean? And it's so, like, it's so powerful and emotional, but he didn't say anything. And then when someone does say something, it's just like, you know, I don't know, something dumb. Just like, you are bad. Like, we are good, or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just something so stupid. But the emotion is just carried by the visual stuff. And I remember seeing it, so I had this like a very similar thing. I, it, was the, it was the fourth film that I've talked about a lot of times in that um, film is literature class. And um, we all were kind of, kind of wondering why we are we... Why we are we? Why are we watching this movie? Because we had just watched... The Accidental Tourist. And so why the fuck are we watching The the Battleship of Temkin? How do they... These two movies match up. One of them, their language is totally literary. You know what I mean? Like, everything is spelled out. There's a a fucking narrator, for Christ's sakes, Lawrence Kasdan. You know what I mean? There's there's an interior monologue that's happening. And then there's this movie where all of that information, all that you're talking about, the information here is not so much... um, facts as much as its feelings is carried by the visuals and so we were reading the battleship potemkin like in its in its shots and stuff like that um it was cool to go it was really really cool to go back to it It was a movie i remember enjoying at the time but being like meh did it battleship potemkin 
It's in my pocket. We were kind of talking about that before. It was like one of those movies where um, a lot of silent films, and we've probably talked about this in the podcast, um, you watch them just because you just gotta, you just got to do it. Yeah. Like, ah, I can say that I watched that movie now. It's, it's, it's done. Um, and Battleship Pretend Good was kind of like that at the time. It was like, yeah, it's... I got it. I can say I watched it and I remember it and I could speak to it and all this other stuff. But it was cool to go back to it and kind of pick it apart and spend some time with it um, on, a, on, a, on a different level, a slightly more like educated or maybe not even educated, a slightly more open level mm-hmm. where I'm not doing it just so I can write an essay about it and get information. I'm doing it so I can kind of kind of grab Take something it in, from yeah. it. It was cool. and it was, it, it, was, it was good. But yeah, you and your politics. Like politics and film. Just politics, horror, and romantic. I don't comedy. know. If, do you want to talk about this tonight? I mean, it's interesting. We're recording this in the the last night of the Democratic, you know. Uh, maybe maybe we close. Maybe we close with it if we want to. No, no. Or just the follow. idea that, like, I don't. Um, I I don't remember. I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say, JP. Too. My politics kind of came. They just were there, and then when it was time for me to vote with Gore Bush, 2000, I was. I really didn't pay any attention to politics at all. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm going to vote for Al Gore. Like, based off of just like what his, he was saying and all this other stuff. I was like, well, why would I ever vote for that guy? I'm going to, clearly going to vote for this guy. And my politics just seemed ingrained in me. Like, there was no growth of, there was no political growth. I didn't experience political growth. Yeah. And I'm interested in the idea that you experience like all this political growth. That's a, did you did you have like a moment like that? What was that high school or college? This is high school. Okay, yeah. I mean, I didn't have any political growth in high school. My first voting president presidential election was uh, for Clinton, but I you know, Clinton Bush or Clinton Dole. First one. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I didn't become political until after that, and I was going to tie this in because as you're talking about it. Um, I can't think of a movie that really made me politically, but all I could think of was, did, have you read any um, of Zinn's um, uh, People's History of the yeah, United yeah. States? Like I haven't read that one yet. That no. book made me political, mm-hmm. and and um, The Jungle as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, But no films that I could think of. So, so you know, when Nader, I voted, I was a Nader voter, uh-huh. I had a, People over profit bumper sticker. Sure. Um, I didn't vote for Nader, but I was a Nader guy. Well, you know just, what I mean? Like I was like I was very pro Nader, but when I kind of realized he wasn't gonna win, I voted for Gore. Well, it's like I keep saying I was always a, you know, the two party who, who system won is terrible. That election. Gore. Gore won. I think yeah. yeah. Check it out. But I was I was like you know reading Chomsky and and Zinn and. Uh, so voting for Nader, um, thinking that, you know, the two big parties were not, you know, basically sure. two-headed yeah, monster. Yeah. Yeah, and now it's like, well, we finally get a third-party president, and he's like the worst thing you could <laughs> possibly uh, dream up. Yeah. I, I think um, the last time a Democrat lost Connecticut was in 88. For? Dukakis Bush. Oh. That makes sense. They, but I'm assuming Reagan won in '84, right? Well, that's what I was like last time. Like, oh, I think right. he, he won both times. I think in Connecticut, yeah. You just think um, it's 
Well, I think what's becoming clear... before actually before that Connecticut was a was a red state. Connecticut didn't vote for. Well, we had a, a we had Republican governors forever. Connecticut voted for a Democrat in '68. They voted for Humphrey. Good for high five, Connecticut. Well, no, I mean not. I mean, yeah, but the wrong person was the nominee. It's whatever. Anyone that was better than Nixon. Well, for sure, but we'll talk about you know. We'll talk about that. We're talking about trial of Chicago Seven about who the Democrats should have just yeah, fucking yeah. let. I am, um, but I think it's interesting. I think I think, and it wasn't the guy who got shot and died. <laughs> he shouldn't have been the nominee either. Eugene McCarthy should have been the nominee. Um, no, I think the uh, uh, the the space film occupies in our lives is really fascinating, or the different spaces that film occupies in our lives. Well, yeah, because film for me defines the way I see relationships yep. and the way I see. Politics, yeah, a lot. and if for for me, film uh, showed the way I see myself as a human, and then as a musician also. What about you, JB? Uh, music, chiefly. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like it's the way I see like the way I make food. <laughs> I make sandwiches differently because I saw that one thing. He's <laughs> like ratatouille, really smooth. I saw singles, and I make coffee. Like a fucking bastard now. Single. Which one's singles? The Cameron Crow, nineteen ninety two Cameron Crow movie with the, the, the takes place in Seattle. Seattle grunge scene. Yeah, they're gonna say like the Jim Jarmusch coffee and cigarettes. That too. Is that Jarmusch? Yeah. Okay. That was post like uh, Ghost Dog. I think it was the film after Ghost Dog. Yeah, it's a when he kind of floundered dog. in like those in those two thousands. Broken yeah. flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, broken flowers is bad. Broken flowers was so bad. That's why. Ooh. So you texted me that thing about the new Sofia Coppola, and I was like, I don't, I didn't know about this new Sofia Coppola. I was like, Oh, Rashida Jones and Bill Murray, and Bill Murray's wearing a scarf. That was Rashida Jones. I yeah. saw a picture, and I, I couldn't tell. I was like, I don't want to do this again, Bill Murray, like sad sack Bill Murray. Oh, that's just. <laughs> You can tell a headphones are good. A pair of headphones are good when they come with this, a separate plug in the headphones <laughs> that can just pop out when you move your arm weirdly. Um, but no, that's that's really that's really interesting. Uh, me and Mar- me and JP were talking about this in, in the in the parking lot when we were waiting for you. I uh, I was not sure where this was gonna go. Like I wasn't sure how Battleship Potemkin was gonna factor into your existence at all. Was one of the ideas. Defines my political belief. No, no, no. Because it's uh. it's funny because I, the political the political aspects of it to me when I was watching this are just so simple, and I was just like, well, I think in the same way that I kind of react to all politics. But like when you're like, around well, yeah. a, when you're around a world that doesn't believe that, yeah, it believes in like super individualism and like you know fucking survive yourself, and if you don't, then oh well. Mm. Well, you can that, live off of charity. And that's my yeah. thing with like the Zen book, reading each of those stories about different eras. And it's like, if you have em- any empathy, it's like, how, how could you not side on the side of the people? Well, that's, a, that's the problem. Right. Conservatives don't have any empathy. Right. <laughs> it's really... What? I mean, I don't... They, the they aren't, they aren't like human that. beings. <laughs> yeah, it's really... It's, uh, it's, it's tough, and it's, I think it's... We're, I'll treat them like human beings. So there's but. a sign. Someone put a sign on their front lawn by my house, and you know how everyone's got these like, hate has no. Remember when Donald Trump got elected and people started putting that like, hate has no place here sign, mm. and on one side was like the English, and one side was like the the um, that uh, the, the Arabic. Well, we have we have every all all are welcome here in East Rock. All are welcome it's, here. Yeah, it's yeah. said in like twelve different languages. Yeah. and so now there's people that are putting like. 
signs like the I believe signs. And it's like I've seen some Mr. Rogers ones that are kind of tied closely to like Mr. Rogers kind of like philosophy on life and um, who, just, who, who definitely would not have voted for Trump. <laughs> he would have just been like, John Kasich, run. John I mean, Kasich, run. Listen, I love Jesus and all of you other people that love Jesus. Like, you guys do what you got to do. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how that works, but I'm going to vote for somebody else. So there's a person by my house that has this sign that they made. And it's as big as a person. Like, the sign is huge and it's just leaning up against a tree. And basically what they've done is they've taken the middle position on literally everything. So they're not, like, coming out and saying they essentially believe in anything. They it's like all lives matter sort of stuff? They don't believe in anything. It's not, it's like, indi- so they say individual lives matter. Legal immigrants make America better. What's the, the one that, or uh, kindness without truth is a lie. Like, all these kind of, like, non-statement statements, you know what I mean? And I think one of the things about Battleship Potemkin they're, they're legitimately the John Kasich of people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I think the thing about Battleship Potemkin is that it says pretty clearly you can't be on no side of this. Yeah. You have to pick a side. Well, it's, it's like the entire Black Lives Matter thing. It's silence is violence, right? Right. And I think that's it's an interesting place where I think other countries, maybe those countries are older and they got there in appropriate times and we're just getting there now or we're going to get there in 50 years or whatever i don't know i hope not but these you know no you hope we get there sooner well yeah to clarify i hope we don't get there i hope we get there but it doesn't include armies marching in the streets and just shooting women and children because they happen to be in front of them but it's interest. I, I see a lot. There's a lot of positives to take away from the message of Battleship Potemkin in today's society. When you're essentially saying, if you say yes to one thing, that means you are against all these other things, which I am fundamentally for. And that's why I think it, things have become so polarizing because I can't support a person if you're like, oh, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I don't really know how to feel about you anymore. You know what I mean? Yes. Because it also Absolutely. means that you support all these things that I could never support ever. I mean, I know how I feel about that person. I'm not going to share it on air. But right. if that person applies for Medicaid, I'll treat them the same as anybody else because they're still a human being and that's maybe not the way they feel, but, you know, whatever. Mario mentions Medicaid. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I'm, no, I'm just saying in the I fact just, I'm that, just preparing myself for when you text me later oh like, no cut out that part about me my <laughs> work no I'm just saying <laughs> they are still people um, sure but their uh, position outside of of that in terms of the general marketplace of ideas is not what I want to engage with and I just don't understand their value system no. how does your value system line up with this other thing I don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting choice Mario I'm kind of glad I got it, well, to watch it actually I'm more glad that we got to discuss it well next week we go way different fuck, fuck that movie doesn't week. have any sort of political connection yeah next week is gonna be a next week you still haven't you, you're, you're just this could be your first exposure to it I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't looked at your list in a long time Is it Aladdin? Number 20. Yeah, it's Aladdin. Oh, oh no. Uh, I've only seen that one part. Okay. It's, it's a bummer that you you know it already. Just, I've only seen that one part. But it, it, it ruins, like, it. my experience with it was I didn't know I cannot, I, honestly, if we didn't have a movie. Have you seen on, the part? 
I've only seen so burlap, right? Yeah, I'm assuming, yeah. Which is sad. That's un- that's unfortunate. If we didn't have a movie, a Disney Plus movie to talk about next week, um, oh my god, <laughs> I would say we just do we, one and only Ivan. The one and only right Ivan. into that. I think I think we cl- oh, no, you're no, movies. we're gonna yeah, do mine first. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm looking forward to our, we're, it's good. Next week's gonna be a long episode with just kind of we should do a, a block should just be your movie. B block should be one and only Ivan. Well, here's the thing, and so then for, I do my movie just because of the yeah. <laughs> for my A block next week, I feel like we should have the conversation now. And get it out of the way and just refer people to it when we get to it on your list. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. So we'll, we'll do that early so then when we talk about it for you, it's just film, film, film. Yeah, yeah. And us, you know, for me, we'll have, like, the larger, like, what the fuck do we do with this conversation? So, um, all right. Are you, anything else? Yeah? No. Nope. All right. We'll be right back with my 21. God, I can't remember the time. 22. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how to introduce this movie, so I won't. This is that's a shocker. <laughs> I've in the eighty seventy nine weeks of doing this, you've always done a most, long most story. Of the time, most of the time, um, my movie is the nineteen seventy eight concert film, something the live performance thing, directed by Martin Scorsese. Who is not a very good interviewer, by the way. Which is something that like really comes out in this movie. Um, the Last Waltz. It's hard to know where to begin. I feel like I start this conversation all the time. 1976, uh, the band, and we'll talk about like what that means. I'm putting this in air quotes. The band decides they're going to call it quits from being a touring band. They've been touring for 16 years. And I kind of get this. They started in 1960 as, a, as, as the Hawks. They were backing... Um, oh, what's his fucking name now, man? Ronnie Hawkins. Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. Um, they were in Canada. And they kind of just turned into this great touring machine, and they ended up backing Bob Dylan. They ended up in Woodstock and in the house, and they were recording uh, all their own stuff, and they were writing their own stuff, and they became like a big fucking deal. And like a lot of the stuff that the band was doing became really influential uh, for a lot of rock music, a certain kind of rock music of that era. Actually, maybe not even a certain kind of rock music. I think there's a lot of people that draw a lot of comparisons to some of the stuff that Brian Wilson was doing. Uh, with the, some of the stuff that they were doing in the Big Pink, you know what I mean? With layering things and some of the sounds he was using. Um, <clears throat> but by 1976, Richard Manuel had gotten in a, an accident, a uh, car accident, I think, or a motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. I'll love Bob Dylan. He was really injured. Uh, you know, just, I don't know how much time we're going to spend talking about this. 1967. Something. Yeah. I don't know how much time we're going to spend talking about this, Mario, but... Um, or was it? I don't know why I'm pointing you out. Um, 
if you really like watching people uh, be affected by heroin, you should watch The Last Waltz. Yeah, Is that they're doing? Richard, Richard Manuel, well, Danko, and... specifically. I mean, Danko, Manuel, and Levon Helm would all have heroin problems, I think, at one point or another. But Richard Manuel at that exact point... I think, Man, uh, I think, Richard, I think Rick Danko, too, was Helm, using that. Helm had a uh, Yeah, he, was, had a, he had a problem, too. Because um, he lived a... I mean, he died young. He died young. Well, Seventy-one. Not, but. Yeah, but he he lived. He lives hard. He lives hard for a long time. Um, and Manuel killed himself. He killed himself. Yeah. Well, that's in question, right? I mean, he was found hung in a shower. Yeah, it is what it is. We're not here. It's like really a. It's like a, it, not yeah. a Courtney Love. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say, when she killed herself. In that, <laughs> Courtney Love didn't kill herself. Oh no. Fucking Mandela, Mario. Mandela problem. Uh, <laughs> title of the podcast. Needless to say, if you. if uh, There are several high people on on heroin in, in this movie um, at, at various points. Doesn't matter. Um, what was I talking about? The end of the road. Oh, the end of the road, yes. Yeah. So they just decided we're going to be stop being a touring band. So we're going to we're going to cap off our touring career at the place where it started. We're going to go to the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco, and we're going to on Thanksgiving, and we're going to have a Thanksgiving feast. We're going to invite all these guest performers, and we're going to play this show. We're going to have it filmed by Martin Scorsese, who at the time was kind of. He had just so he'd done Still Mean Streets, yeah. yeah. Uh, taxi Driver. He was young, and he was he was he was with it. But Robbie Robertson was a Dylan guy, and Dylan was a Martin Scorsese guy. Like that was there was a New York City crowd. Well, that, the tour like, manager, like Jonathan Taplin, yep. produced Mean Streets. Mm-hmm. But like there was a there was a crew, mm. there was a little there was a little artistic crew that was like happening around Dylan and Scorsese and stuff at that time, and Robbie Robertson was a part of that. Allen Ginsberg was a part of that, but he's actually not in this movie, which I think is really weird. Um, and so they record they record the last waltz. Ferlin Getty is Ferlin Getty's in it. No, I'm trying to think no of, Allen Ginsberg. I'm trying to think of the movie we watched that Allen Ginsberg was in. That Allen Ginsberg was in? Oh yeah. Um, what was that concert movie we watched that Allen Ginsberg was in a lot of it? Oh, um Rolling Thunder the Rolling Thunder Review one. Yeah, the yeah, Bob Dylan yeah, one. Yeah. Which is funny because that was a year this takes right place a year the after that. Time. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, they were arguing during the intermission about whether or not that Dylan would actually go on stage because he didn't want to. He didn't want to be in this movie because he didn't want to interfere with the movie he was making at the time. Did so that's why it didn't come. This movie didn't come out until 1978. Did Scorsese do the the concert footage from Rolling Thunder? Did we ever talk about that? No, no, someone else. Did. Yeah, someone okay, else yeah. did. Yeah. Um, so they record this movie. They have a Thanksgiving feast. They have poets. They have all these musicians. It's all night long. It goes until like two in the morning. Uh, there's several jams at the end of it, which you don't get to see in they any like of the things. Like thousand pounds of turkey. Something, they, something yeah. crazy. Um, but they come up with. They eventually release the last waltz. I encountered. I didn't encounter the last waltz until 2002, which is when the DVD was reissued, and the twenty. Uh, 2002, I was 20, yeah. I was working at the bookstore. I was working at B. Dalton in Milford, Connecticut. Uh, our bass player, JP, was like, his name is Chris. He wants to be on the show. Well, I have to have Chris on the show to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are music guys. Yeah. More than me. You know what I mean? When, we, when I joined the Joiner Inners, I've told you the story before. When I joined the Joiner Inners, the first thing I did was I bought... 
I bought a bunch of records. And I was like, if I'm going to understand the Joyner Inners, I need Archers of Low, Vicky Metal, Sebado Bake Sale, Guided by Voices B1000, you know, uh, uh, Husker, I need Husker Do records. These are what the records the I need to understand. Fuck are we ta- I know Guided by... That, the only word I understood <laughs> out of any of that was Guided by Voices. So I was in... I was I was in the bookstore. We had the CD player in the back room. You know what I mean? It's just like a fucking boombox. And if you were unpacking boxes, you would go back there, and me and Chris would just put on records and s- I, I would to play for like the expose you all. Play for like the front of house. No, or? it was just no, for it back. was just for the back. Okay. There was actually no music in Beatle, which is really weird. Um, I went to Fye. This came out. I was reading a lot of music magazines, and the the last waltz box set. I didn't even really fucking care about the DVD. Last Waltz box. The idea that there was a box of the entire Last Waltz concert, and I was a big band guy at the time. Um, like me and me and my buddies had gone through a a band phase, and this could be a much longer conversation, which I don't want it to turn into, of like ingesting an entire an artist's entire podcast. career. No, but I I don't want to I don't want to talk about Nick Cave. I don't want to talk about okay, Elvis Costello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's like ways that this can we've go. Had our, we've had a Nick Cave conversation. I, I don't want to talk about Henry. I don't want to do a Henry Rollins like. Digression here, where we just spend fifteen minutes talking about Henry well, Rollins. Wrong turn two might pop up on the list at some point. We don't know. Johnny Mnemonic might turn up there also. No, um, wrong turn two. We, I, I was listening to a lot of music, and the band was a band that I really loved. Like I got really into the Basement Tapes. I got really into the first couple of records. How like how long had you like did your dad introduce you to the band? No, he was wasn't it? a band guy. He was a power pop guy. So he was like the Beatles, and he was Elvis Costello, and he was. Like he had really weird tastes and stuff like that, so he was really into crowded house. So how'd you get, how'd you get horse lips to the band? Just as you dig, as you fucking dig into the shit, man. Eventually, you come to the band, and that's one right, of the conversations right, that I've right. had. That's one of the conversations I've had a lot of times. I feel like we've had a lot of this conversation a lot of times too, and we're going to tie this into the conversation we were having a little bit off air. People really like Modest Mouse. When I oh, heard couple mo- songs, when Modest I heard Mouse. Modest Mouse, I was like, why wouldn't I just listen to the Talking Heads? I'll just go listen to the talk. Why would I listen to a band that's oh, right. ripping off the Talking Heads when I could just listen to the fucking Talking Heads? They're pretty similar. One of the problems I always had with like the two early two thousands, like Isaac's got pretty great lyrics, but but I'm not a lyric guy. I'm not okay. I'm I melody yeah, and melodies and generally riffs and stuff. I'm not. Yeah. Do you know why I got into? You know why I got into the Talking Heads though? This is going to be sacrilege to say. It sounded like more of the Tubes. Talk tubes is fine. Yeah, the tubes is great. We, we, great. we saw the tubes. I want to oh, no, see we the, saw tubes. the frogs. I want to see uh, the tubes. Tubes are my tubes might be my favorite band. That's that's a, that's a bold a statement. Them are the muse. Them are the muse. Them are muse are probably my favorite band. <laughs> Them are the muse. Well, I was I actually was going to talk about the muse later, but it doesn't matter. I the band was one of those bands that you just got all the way into, and at some point this thing got released, and I was like, well, I have to have this. It's the whole concert. So. The, the 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 movie only shows a portion of the concert. There were so many more yeah, songs. How, like nearly, how long? How long is like the? I know you saw you got the entire set. Like how long? Six hours. Six hours. Yeah, it's in, it's incredible. And there's and you people. See, you see maybe like ninety minutes of music. Like here? an hour right. and fifty seven minutes is the whole thing. But probably maybe 90? total maybe yeah. like an hour forty. You but know, a couple of those are the soundstage performances too. Right. right. Yeah, which I like, assume like, we don't get the waltz that plays isn't. In Not the, even that. We get in the in the box set. You get to listen thing. to the weight. They play the weight exactly. without the staple singers. It's the weight. Take a load off Fanny. Oh, Take hate, a load for free. That I one. That song. That's a good. It's a great song. Mario's wrong. I, <laughs> no, 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 I, 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 I'm not saying it's a bad song. I just I don't about, like it. Exactly. 
But so they play a fucking pretty rocking version of the weight. It's yeah. pr- it's actually pretty heavy. And for some reason they're just like guys. They all down to now. Now they're inducing Dream Theater. Guys, now introducing Tony Naomi. Tony, come out here. Geezer Butler, let's do it. Um, so you get to hear all this stuff, and I was just like, what the fuck? And then I got the DVD, and the DVD does not include like all the footage. It's just the movie with some extras, and we'll get in. We'll get into some of the things. So they take out some of the touching that they did in the two years between the filming and the and the and the release, the theatrical release. But it blew me. The movie blew me away in a different way that the, than the record did. So at the time, I was playing in a band called Three Way Duel. It was me, my cousin Len, and this guy Dane, and we thought we were pretty fucking good. And I had already been in a couple of bands. I was a band in high school that like loved the Smashing Pumpkins and loved alt rock. I was in a band with. My buddy John Paul, who's referenced a bunch on the show. Uh, the Stilettos, which was like a Roxy Music ripoff band. I've heard, I've heard of the Stilettos. I have and, never heard of the other band. And Johnny Honestly and the Blind Truth, which was a kind of band that encompassed all of our all of our uh, passions at the time. So we had a song that sounded exactly like the Pogues. We had a bunch of Roxy Music editions of You ripoffs. Silverchair. We had a bunch of T-Rex in there, because me and John Paul are really into T-Rex. Um and then me, me and Dane and, and Dane who worked at the bookstore and my cousin Len who was my cousin uh, who I just made play drums I was like you play drums now and I, I went I got a Sam Ash credit card and I bought this thousand dollar Pearl Export Series drum set you have, a, you have a lot of bad sparkly. credit card decisions I have a life. lot of I have a tough tough times with credit Tom Nolan does <laughs> You can track so you're talking about relationships and politics. I'm talking about like existential angst and credit. Which is interesting because I'm the cheapest motherfucker around. Mm. We should combine human beings. We We'd make be one, good, right? remake one person. We'd be really good. <laughs> um, and I saw this movie and I thought it was perfect. Not that the movie was perfect, and we'll get there. The concert experience was fucking perfect, and I carry this idea with me. A little bit to this day, but I carried it to the point where me and JP were in a band called the Joy Earners, and we had a last waltz in 2013, where me and JP were both having second babies, mm-hmm. and we were just like, ah, we should stop going out now every... This is the ballroom show? This is the Space Line ballroom show. Yeah. It was like right when Space Line ballroom opened. We had the dead, dead stars open for us, it was actually a really good show, and we were like, we should stop playing... We can't go out every every week, whatever night it was, to our warehouse space in West Haven and drink a 30-rack of Pabst. Well, it was like the second baby changes everything. Right. We were just like, this is this is like a thing now. Right. And so we were like, we're going to have a fucking last waltz. So we invited a band from Brooklyn that we'd never heard of, but like had, a, that, had an amazing EP yeah. that had just come out. And they were like, yeah, we'll play. And then Ben Erickson came and he played like a, an opening set. And then we played 31 songs. And the whole thing's on YouTube, I think. It was right? good. It was long, but it's good. It was a long shit. We fucking kicked ass. There was a bunch it. of people there. It was... I got very drunk. Yeah. We all got very drunk. It was a great fucking show. And then it ended. And then we ended up... We ended up playing again. 
like you know, it was like it was a few years later. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it had a last waltz feel. What does a last waltz feel mean? It means when you leave everything on the table. It means that when you get to play whatever you perceive your hit to be, you give it like everything you got, and it it all stems from that fucking movie where those guys were ruined. Those are ruined individuals, and you could kind of see it. You know what I mean? Like, Rick, in, in, the, in the conversations... I think I get it. I think I get it. In the conversations, Rick Danko and LeVon Helm and, and Rich Manuel, and even, and even Robbie Robertson, for all of his faults as a person, looks like he's going to fucking die. Well, that line is great. It's a goddamn impossible way of life. And then he just yeah. stares at the ground for a yeah. while. He just stares on the ground you know, for a while. I get, me, I get, I think I get where you got, where you're coming from right now. Okay. But in a completely different way, which okay. I'll cover when you're done. Good. But to me, Levon seems fine. Rick Danko just seems. Yeah, he like, seems like such like a regular person. Well, I'm a, surprised he had like issues because he yeah. seems so centered. But he did. I mean, he really flourished later. Garth Hudson seems like a non non. Well, Garth Hudson was a jazz guy, so he was just kind of in it for the for the is music. He, is he still alive? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Garth Hudson. You're my favorite. Oh, he is. You're my favorite. Been, of that band. He probably didn't. I, I'm pretty sure he never touched anything. No, well, he. That's the thing. He didn't want to. I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you don't get that organ sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rick Danko seems okay, but he he does seem sort of. Just, you know, he's working on a solo album, but he you could tell he's he's like. I don't want to stand. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's they, none of them. And they would make a record right after that. Islands came out right after the thing. Mm. So this was just like an end to tour. Islands was a different band. Or? A no, it was the band. Album. It was the fir- original Five Guys. So that's so Robbie they, Robertson still plays with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they all do. Yeah, because they stopped. They stopped touring. They stopped touring. Okay. Because I think so, and I kind of get why, why. Really quickly, why didn't they just kick out Robbie Robertson? Because he wrote all the songs. Why not just get a new guy? Well, they, because when they when they reconvened in the eighties, they did without him and it wasn't so good. And they're a pretty good version of Atlantic City mm-hmm. on that one record. But again, Atlantic City is a Bruce Springsteen song. Right. Um, so they but they couldn't find like a really great songwriter. No. So this thing you can't find you can't make Robbie Robertson's. And so one of the things that got debated. I've heard his film scores. But not his, so, okay. so, all right, here, let's talk about it now. And this is going to be a wide-ranging conversation. If this goes for another hour, it's I, fine. I, you know, it, it is yeah, what happens. it is. One of the things that was Robbie Robertson, he is the world's greatest cultural appropriator. He is from fucking Canada. He wrote The Night They Drove All Dixie Down. Which is the one from, song by the band I like. From the perspective of a Southerner mm-hmm. as the Civil War ends. And there's and a Confederate flag in the background of the interview uh, scenes. Yeah. Levon Helm is from Arkansas, but yes, he made his home eventually in Woodstock, New York. Yep. So it's not like he's like. So wait, a... Levon Helm didn't write that song? No. Because no. so Levon Helm sings that song, right? He sings yeah. it. He sang a lot of the songs, yeah. Robbie Robertson doesn't sing anything. He yells into a microphone, but he's actually not singing. The mic wasn't on. The mic wasn't on, or he was just not making sounds. Right. It was just the thing that he it was did. just for shit. Because he's so insecure about, like, his relationship to the songs on stage that he had to do it. Yeah, he just couldn't sing. Yeah. He could play the shit out of a guitar. Yeah. He also <laughs> couldn't do film scores. <laughs> he can't do film scores. Well, but I, 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 
I mean, I, talk. That's do we want to do the Robert Robinson thing? Like, well, do so, we want to talk? So here's about the that? thing. So I don't know if you remember this, JP. I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you were were you a big behind music guy. I, I what? Uh, wait. No, I was pop up video. Remember the sticks behind the music, <laughs> and one of the, th- the conversations around the sticks behind the music was why is that still a thing? That should come back on another YouTube. I know podcast. it would be great. That's a good YouTube show. Oh, guys, let's do it. Behind, yeah. the, behind the music podcast world there's so many more bands that like don't exist anymore Ariana Grande behind the music Stroke 9 behind the music oh, Lit be, behind the music that'd be a good behind the oh what um Smash Mouth no I can't remember the band's name right now Sponge Stacy's mom oh uh, not a surf that's just sad no and uh Adam Slyson's a good band Bones of Wake he said that's he died yeah, but he's a great musician. He was yeah. fucking amazing. We already talked about him. We did that thing you do. Yeah. Um, Just so we gotta continue honoring his memory. Yeah, we should. One of the things that the conversation, one of the conversations that occurred around the the sticks behind the music culturally was that like he was one of the great villains of behind the music because Robbie Robertson. No, Dennis DeYoung. Dennis DeYoung. Oh, the, the sticks, lead sticks, singer songwriter yeah, of yeah, Sticks yeah. because he essentially threw everyone in Sticks under the bus. It was just like I'm sticks. It's like a Brian May thing. No, a, con- Brian May. a little no. bit later, though, because Brian May, I think, has become that now, where he's just kind of sick of the idea that Freddie Mercury was like queen Everything. in and of itself, and he's like, "No, I'm also queen." It's like, yeah, okay, you know, your sound is is fine, but like Freddie Mercury was queen. Who is the pianist and, and queen? Roger Deakins, or is he the drummer? No, not Deakins. Roger Deakins was the drummer, right? Um, oh, was it Roger Deakins? Is that a name? Like uh, Deacons was a drummer, but because because to me like it was Mercury what? and whoever their keyboardist was. I remember. Well, Mercury played a lot of piano. He played on piano. Yeah. Oh, it was it was it was Mercury. Okay, never yeah. mind. It was just Freddie Mercury. Go I, fuck yourself, Brian. Man. <laughs> when I first watched The Last Waltz, the thing that I was struck before John Deacon. Can I ask John Deacon? What was your first viewing? So it was when on you DVD. Bought the DVD. On DVD, yeah. Okay. My last, my first viewing of Last Waltz was Saturday. Uh, no, it was about <laughs> yes, twenty yes. hours ago <laughs> on Two B TV. Because I honestly don't know what the first time I saw the Last Waltz. Did you? It's you just, didn't see it's it. It's a haze. It's so long ago. I have video. Like it would have to be on video. Oh, definitely. But probably Andrew showed it to me. That that's what I would have to go with. Yeah. But it's just always been there. No. Did were you struck the first time you saw it by how? much of a shithead Robbie Robertson seems like he is. Not initially. So that was the first thing that struck me. And it wasn't until, like... I thought he looks... He just looks amazing, and he's he's doing the guitar faces, and really I, sort of playing... See, you could tell he's playing it up, because he knows yeah, he's yeah. going to film. It's interesting to me, because I watched... So I watched this movie thinking Robbie Robertson the entire time is uh, Rick Danko. And I don't know how that experience changes it, but like I'm like, oh, this is a re-. like when he says like, was it life is impossible after this? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's sad. Like like knowing what happens to Rick Danko, and I looked it up, and I was like, well, no, that's not that's not that person. And I, <laughs> but I, I'm experiencing this movie, which I, I I don't feel close to, but I feel close to it because I think Rick Danko's the focus. Mm. Just because I don't know, because well, they don't really say names in it. They don't like. No, they just they show. I mean, they show everyone in the beginning, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I might have been making a cocktail. I may have been making an old fashioned <laughs> at the point. So um, when they're saying when they're playing, don't do it. 
yeah, yeah. They show who everybody Each is. Each person, they yeah. put their name I, next to them. That was the one point, like, I wasn't paying attention. At the very, I put it on, started making, like, a salad. Yeah. A salad <laughs> and an old-fashioned. 12 o'clock salad <laughs> and an old-fashioned. Um, and then I sat back down, and I, so, for the and this interesting way of watching it was, like, I thought it was a super powerful movie, like, coming out for 78, like, obviously, Rick Danko lived for 20 years after that, but thinking, like, this is Rick Dango's movie. I'm like, oh, this is, like, intense. And then when I found out Robbie Robertson, I'm like, oh. Like, what yeah, happens that, 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 after that, it is you just become a film composer. Film uh, music advisor. <laughs> I'm, not very, I'm not very good. Or, or a Daniel Lanois ripoff person, which is hilarious right. because he was, you know. Who's that? Daniel Lanois is a, a producer. He produced... Um, U uh, two records. He's probably most famous for producing, uh, like, or, or engineering, 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 producer. like the Joshua Tree and Octune Baby and stuff like that. But he has his own solo career, which is fantastic. But he's also a person who kind of dabbles in indigenous. He's um, he's Canadian. Uh, he's uh, but he's he has a close connection to the indigenous peoples of of, of you know uh, North America, right. which Robbie Robertson would also kind of latch onto as well. But Robbie Robertson would try to make. Daniel Lanois records for like tw- okay. somewhere down the crazy 20, 30 River years. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I Where, mean, yeah, to be honest, like the best film score that Scorsese's had in the recent memory is Silence, and that's not probably yeah, Robertson. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Robertson's when I watched this movie, I was like, oh my god, this guy fucking sucks. Because everyone else seems like they're trying to have an honest conversation, and Robbie Robertson seems like he's delivering lines. And there's even that one part in the beginning where he's like, oh, should I redo that? And Martin Scorsese is like, yeah. And so he, like, re-says something. And then they're having there's – there's times when, like, they're all having conversations. And everyone else seems to be having, like, a really honest conversation, even if they're totally fucking stoned. And so it doesn't sound honest. It sounds, like, totally weird. Well, Robert Robertson cuts in, like, he's almost reading it off a cue card. And I was yeah. like, this guy fucking sucks. Yeah. And then you see him, like, he comes out – everyone else is wearing, like – Clothes, he's and he's a got scarf. a fucking scarf on. He's got his suit on. He's got his like copper-colored um, Stratocaster. You know, you know, pointing to the riff here with the Stratocaster on it. You know, he's not copper-colored. He's making his faces and stuff like that. He's he's losing guitar solo battles to Eric Clapton. Yeah. Um, which Eric Clapton credits him as like a major influence in his on his guitar playing. Like he, which is, uh, yeah, which is fair. Which is which, whatever it is, but he's like Eric Clapton credits him as an influence, and here is Eric Clapton being like tearing through a guitar solo, and on on further up the road, and he's Robert Robertson is just doing stupid stupid faces and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It seems yeah. so phony. It all seems so phony. But then every time Levon Helms or Rick Danko sings a song. It becomes the most not phony thing ever oh, in the history of I the fucking, fucking world. So, like, I didn't respond closely to this movie, but I fell in love with Levon Helm. Oh, yeah. You, oh, my how God. How can you not? He's a fuck. He's a so, First of so all, amazing. It's almost impossible so to honest. sing while drumming. And he sings with his head few, totally few, cocked. Whole, only a few people can do it. Somewhere, I mean, somewhere Don Henley just overturned the table <laughs> and then performed a mediocre Don song. Henley, Don, Don Henley went. <laughs> No. Yeah, go. Fuck you, Don Henley. So, yeah, but you know what? When I was young, I just thought, 
you know line in Almost Famous where he's like, I'm a golden god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie Robertson is a golden god. Yeah, I know. He's not as good as looking as Billy as Crudup, is, though. No, no. Billy Crudup not. is fucking. That's, but he, he I mean, looks he, pretty Billy Crudup's a goal. We'll get no. there in a few weeks. Do Billy, want, Billy Crudup's a goal. Yeah. But, uh, I, will, I will be talking about how much I was in love with Billy Crudup as a straight man. You know, I'm just going to bring up one thing, maybe perhaps prematurely, but that um, was on the Wikipedia page, and they quote Robert Ebert's initial review of this. Yeah, and yeah. He says, he says, everyone looks so miserable. Happy. Yeah. I don't see that at all. Me neither, man. I see them celebrating. I don't get it. I don't but get what he's saying. They, like, they, don't seem, you... they seem miserable in the inner space. Yes, like in, in the between. interviews. In the, in the, yeah, Performing. That's... I see all kinds that's, of eyeball connections. Because I think that's when they're happy, right? That's what they want to do yeah, is yeah, they yeah, want right. to perform. And so they're happy performing. Like, like Von Hell, when he sings, like, The Night... Uh, they drove all Dixie down. down. He's... Fucking like, but like when I he goes all there, yeah. love to that yeah. song. But when I'm at a show, if I'm up close, I'm looking for the interaction on stage for any concert, and I see that in this. I see them looking at each other and smiling. I love that shit. And except Eber, for Eber's, except for Neil Diamond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did, do you know the Dylan uh, Neil Diamond story too? There's no, a no, great no. story there. Supposedly, Neil Diamond walked off stage, and Dylan's in the wings, and he, and and Diamond does his song, and he walks off. He goes, "Follow that," and Dylan goes, "What do I have to do? Fall asleep on the stage?" Well, which he kind of did. <laughs> but then, Dylan didn't even play any hits. Dylan seems nothing. Dylan kind of seems bored during. Well, some he's of that. like, and he, you know, well, and, and but, you know, part of this movie is well. all the mythology. You know, one, one yeah. of the, one of the oh, earliest yeah. things that. I loved about this movie was reading about it in yep. Bill, Bill Graham's book, talking about who who's that? Bill Graham uh, owned the theater it was done in. Okay. The Winchester oh, he's Ridge. the one that mentions yeah. like all the potatoes and meat that they consumed. Well, he's, he's like a good comment about like yeah, he ate six thousand pounds of turkey and a thousand pounds of potatoes and five hundred. Uh, it's just it's yeah, a story like I love a, where he talks about how much. The food they consumed yeah, like for Thanksgiving. A, he was like a famous promoter and stuff right. like that. That was he's he's, a he was a promoter. big deal in like the seventies. Mm. He was like got all that stuff fucking yeah. going. Yeah, but he talked about the fights backstage with Dylan about you know are are we going to be able to film you know aren't we you know just film it yeah blah 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 but um but yeah um where were we going with that? Dylan? Oh, I think just talking about the joy that they were having the, the joy stage. Yeah, on the stage. Yes, and. uh uh, Dylan, you know, when he comes on, when they cut to him, I like the scene where um, it, this camera descends down on him. Yeah. But you're right. The the music, the song selections aren't great. Well, it's just, it's, the band stuff is good. There's, like, some of my least favorite band songs are kind of featured. Like, The Shape I'm In is not, is not my favorite song. And This Wheel's on Fire is not my favorite song. Um, and I think they do a bad job. I think the, the movie is bad. And quote unquote, in the sense that like they think a, a, a off stage line kind of segues beautifully into like a, a, a musical number. So there's that one when they're all talking about women, mm. and then they kind of go into Ophelia, and I'm just like, well, that doesn't work because Ophelia is like the most joyous song in the in like the history of the world. Like there's nothing. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about this movie, guys, is that there is... Actually, I, I do want to lead into a discussion about the concert movie I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point. We're going to get there. 
We're going to get to all the... So this thing, I'm not a concert movie guy. I yeah, really same. don't like concert movies. I Generally, find them, I find them boring. Yeah. I find them really fucking boring. There is nothing in in the concert movie oeuvre of civilization. And maybe there was concert movies way back in the Sumerians. Who knows? We don't know what they were doing. Mud flood. They could have figured this all. They could have had millions of concert movies. The Sumerians. That's what then caused the mud it. Came and they well, that's what caused it. They they got yeah. so much material for their film reels that the ground got unstabilized and mud. There is nothing in the concert movie canon like when they are about to go in, they're building up to the last moments of the night they drove old Dixie down. Like, and the crowd fucking erupts. So you have the the band... Was that their biggest... Really quickly, was that their biggest song? No, no, no. The Wait was... The Wait's the biggest Probably their biggest yeah. song, yeah. Because, like, it feels like the night the old... Like, that feels like I the know. song they yeah, build up to fuck the yeah, man. Which but is the one song from that band as, I like. As the horns come in, you know, as they all start singing, the crowd just fucking... They just start cheering yeah. for no reason because the buildup was so good I guess and every time I watch it and listen to it it gives me fucking chills there is nothing like and they don't put Ragmom I don't know why they don't put Ragmom or Rag in the movie the the moment where Ragmom or Rag where he's singing I'm excuse me I'm burping on the air he sings in that like Ragmom or Rag but you know the second he it goes the second Right when that song's gonna end, he goes into the last verse and he goes an octave up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's Levon Helm is fucking bringing it, and the crowd is right there with him. Those things are electric. The moment in it makes no difference when he, you know, um, when Rick Danko sings "I love you so much" and it's all oh, I yeah, can do. Yeah. And I'm gonna play it right His now. His face is just. Oh my god! But the, just the way that he delivers it. Um, and then like the, the lyrics and the you know the band lyrics can be corny, but like I love you so much, that's all I could do, just to keep myself from telling you that I've never been so alone before. That's it, that's it, and it's just fucking killer, and it fucking kills. And then he brings a tiny little baby sax out, and he's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and it's just amazing. Well, and you know it's funny. It's like way back ancient history early 90s whenever I got introduced to this I'd always watch movies and then look for reviews to yep. see if they jived with what I felt and everything I read was like it's an uninspired performance and I was like I don't know what you're talking about oh my god it's so inspired even that's fucking- why authorities are bad yes. yeah rise up against them tie it, tie it back <laughs> yeah. right get down it's the name of the visit. um and it's and the but the kicker here guys is Van Morrison's performance of Caravan where all the things that we've talked about beforehand come into play and it's a kind of it almost seems like a lackadaisical like performance for a little bit you know what I mean where he's just kind of Van Morrison if you're not like familiar with kind of how he writes songs he's he's a jazz singer so he doesn't write full songs. He writes one verse and one chorus and there's some scatting and there's all this other stuff and he just repeats it. And he does different things, you know, with intonation. He does different things with, um, you know, uh, with with volume and things like that. And, and that's how he kind of writes songs. And I was introduced to Van Morrison's catalog or I was 
inspired to dig into Van Morrison's full catalog from this thing. But then there's the end of the song. You know what I mean? After he's like, turn up your radio. He just growls into the microphone. And then and then all of a sudden the kind of the vocals drop out and there's that little horn section. Yeah, it sort of just and it comes up. And you don't expect it. And he's given then he does a given to me now and it's like bam bam and he just keeps doing it. He just keeps fucking doing it. He says, Jimmy, one more time. Who is Jimmy? <laughs> Alan Toussaint is fucking conducting that orchestra. There is no Jimmy we're all, at we're all, all. We're all Jimmy's It's just what point. he said on his own tours. Jimmy, give it to me now. And he's just keeps doing it. Jimmy, one more time. And he just keeps doing it. He keeps doing his fucking kicks and his fucking polyester, maroon polyester suit. Uh, and it's just a fucking beautiful. amazing. And it just it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Jimmy, one more time. And then he walks off the stage. He just and, walks off. And, and they're all laughing. And they're all laughing. And they just keep, they play it for a couple more bars. And I was just, it's, so on the record, it's, it's Tour Laura Laura. Yeah. Which is not on the thing. Which Richard Manuel sings. Not in the movie. It's not in the movie, yeah. which he just growls through, and then it's right, you know. Then Van Morrison comes and just fucking rips it apart, and then they play Caravan, and then they play the night they drove Old Dixie down. Right after that, it is this fucking massive crescendo. The way, go sorry. The way I love also one of the great like moments in this film I love is how they frame Van Morrison, like the films like he seems surrounded. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because like he's, he's surrounded tiny. on his, he's tiny, but he's well, surrounded on stage. And he's like he has such this force. And I, I don't like Van Morrison oh, generally, Van Morrison. Yeah. just because jazz stuff. Like I like, I'm a math rocky guy. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, then it, heard, yeah, it comes from a. It's funny that you said that because the only time they use that angle that they shoot that Van Morrison stuff from is when Eric Clapton's guitar strap falls off. After his first solo with Further On Up the Road. I think I missed that part. So he's just, he's, it doesn't, it's it's not like major, they don't lose anything. Yeah. You just kind of see him kind of hook his strap back up. But um, then they switch to it for Van Morrison, where it's all from that one side of the stage. Up front. And yeah. he's, and it's up front, and right. sometimes he's. Like they're stays, on the stage. Right, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. Um, and it's, it's fucking mesmerizing. So Well, they do the, the same thing with the Night Tale. The night they uh, but it's right on Levon. It's not on. It's not the front of the stage. It's okay, right, yeah. It's right on Levon. But that's like one of the few moments you recognize the camera on stage. Right. It's like those but two I moments. think one of the great things about or this movie moments. is that they really don't try to hide the fact that there's cameras on stage. It's everything's very loose. It's hyper produced in the sense that there's chandeliers and like the the like the way the background looks. So they actually took that. They bought that stage or they rented yeah. it from uh, an, um, opera. an opera. Yeah. That was at, um, in for town. the soundstage stuff, or just the backgrounds yep. and, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and it's it's I've always found it fairly loose, like a fairly loose performance where they're just like you know now this person comes out and now this person comes out and like it's just it's not very planned. There's things that seem more planned than other things, and those are well. Jody Mitchell just kind of like wanders on stage. It yeah. feels like. She's like, oh, Joni Mitchell's here. Which is do I mean, stuff. I, I well, love, and she played like three or four songs. She that played night, four, yeah. but she, she just kind of like pops up. Right, right. And 
and that's kind which of which isn't like, a bad thing. I love Joni Mitchell. Re- but. If you read the Amazon reviews of it, they're like Joni Mitchell doesn't fit here. She shouldn't be here. No, she fits. That Laurel right. Ken, that Laurel Ken shit. Part is of me thinks she's it. singing about Robbie Robertson. Mm. <laughs> is that a thing? Uh, well, the, the song Coyote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I said from maybe from a criticism standpoint, where she uh. was just like, "Fuck Robbie Robertson." <laughs> um, but so we, you kind of asked when we were breaking, so I go to the bathroom. You kind of asked like, "How is this a pivotal film, Mario?" And JP. Everything I do, I want to have that transcendent, that transcendent thing, where you do a thing on stage that exists forever. That transcends normal human experience. Mm. That transcends normal musical experience. I have we have that? I don't know. I have a lot of regrets for our last boss performance. I don't. I regret openly. Maybe we even had this conversation that we did not play "Save It for Later" as the last song. Right, right, right. That we we were fucking hammered. We were all hammered, exhausted, exhausted. But it's three chords. Well, could you guys play? Two and a half hours at that point. I don't even. I don't even really know how long we. It played was like two and a half hours. We lot. played forever, and it was six I, beers worth had, of time. For we me. had one song, five beers, ready to go. I think because we had talked. I think we had talked about it that day. I know we played Tractor Rape Chain. Right? We played Tractor Rape Chain. We played. Um, what did we? We ended with. Um, uh, what's the song? How's the sound? Back to the farm again. We ended up back to the farm again, well, which is I hated in, that we which is perfectly, way. which would have led perfectly into save it for later. Save it for later. It opens. It ends with the same chord. that save it for later opens. Right, we could have had happened. Greg up there. We, we could have had everybody everyone up there. just come up and sing, and we and we didn't. But I think there's times when we were in a wherever rehearsal space that we were that we hit the fucking heights. That the last waltz got to, you know what I mean? And is that is that a performance? Is that a tree of life performance? Is that a fucking Giza performance? Tree of life is in tree Giza of life too. Is, is a rock uh, a rock opera song that I wrote. Okay, and it was the it's the ninth song of a ten song rock opera because that's just what I did. Um, <laughs> is it a um? But it it had a pocket that we just settled into perfectly, and we would kind of we could get or uh, two miles south of Ronaldo. Remember the Twas Windmills era? We played that one song for like thirty minutes, yeah. And then there's a recording of it. Maybe we should post it somewhere. And we just and then Dave left, and we just were fucking in it. We were just like all the way fucking in it. And that's the way this movie feels. This movie, when I watch this movie, I'm not a viewer in on my couch. Like watching a movie, I am. I am right there yeah. on fucking stage doing something. Well, and for me, I just look at the collection of people involved in the the, the evening. Yeah, and I'm just like, and again, when I first experienced the movie, most of the talk about it was like negative or sort of like underwhelming. Uh, you know, lukewarm, and I just didn't understand it. I, I to me, I just thought. This is, they talk about Altamont being the end of the 60s. Yeah, 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 But, and not that this is an end, but this is just, I mean, Neil Young, Dylan, Van Morrison, everybody else that you, you know, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. 
it's a, it's a, just an incredible gathering of talent coming together to celebrate this band. Well, in seven, 1976, all those people is the last time a lot of those people really mattered in the way that they mattered. I know. Um, they would, I mean, even Neil Young, who would have, like, you know, Rockin' in the Free World, and he'd have... Ten years later. Silver and Gold. Twelve he, years later. That's the thing. He would have all these periods where, like, it was like, oh, Neil Young is back. You know, you know, he did Rockin' in the Free, he did Free, he did, he did um, Ragged Glory and uh, Freedom, and then he did Silver and Gold in 2001, and then he would do... Maybe he hasn't done anything since there. Maybe Greendale doesn't count. I don't know. Maybe Greendale just counts to me. Um... You know, and Joni Mitchell would have her late periods too, and everyone would kind of have their maybe Clapton. Clapton, Dylan, maybe Clapton. Dylan had his Dylan had his late stuff. He's had a couple. Yeah, he had apparently, a couple. Apparently this year. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know, but um, Clapton had his obviously his unplugged thing. Yep. Um, Neil Diamond. Maybe we're gonna count the Rick Rubin record as a kind of resurgence. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess um, I guess you could say like, what Clapton and was Muddy Waters do after this? Dies. But even the money, I mean, I fucking... But Clapton's, like, biggest... What's Clapton's biggest song? Is Clapton's biggest song Tears in Heaven? Well, I mean, sales-wise, probably, but before this, he was, you know, he had the well, Derek and Domino stuff. He had Yardbirds. The, yeah, he had all that stuff. Um, so I fucking... The soul hand that was the one person from, like, this era, like, I connected to from, like, young age. But that's the thing. Clapton was one of the, those guys who went into it being like, I'm broken. I'm I'm going into this. He was just coming out of his. He was just coming out of his heroin phase. Um, Eric Clapton's entire life is just various phases of being broken. Well, which is fucking bummer. The the beautiful thing about Clapton from that is that he, his guitar expresses all of that sadness. I think the one thing I don't respond to any of the Clapton moments in this movie is because he kind of undersells his Claptonness in the sake of like, you know, kind of pushing Robbie Roberts. No, I actually. I, I pre- I've always appreciated Clapton for the fact that, like, when a mo- moment doesn't call for him, he will he backs off. He backs off. Well, that's I mean, he's kind of like a Chris Jericho to bring a wrestling term of um, <laughs> he's Canadian, so it works for this. Yeah. For of like when he needs to back up, he does. Well, one of the movies that almost ended up on my list was the concert for George Mm-hmm. Harrison, okay. which is George Harrison, which so a year after he died, they had this big concert, which they had with his son Tom Petty, and Danny was playing for the whole thing, and Jeff Lynne was there. Danny, who's Danny? Danny Harrison, his his son. His so son. he played guitar through this whole tribute What's, to his does dad. He do, does he do other stuff? Or is... Yeah, he's a. Um, yeah, but he's, not really. It's experiment. It's very experimental. Okay. Um, By his own choice, sort of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but you know, it's got the definitive performance of "All Things Must Pass" with Paul McCartney. Is this the thing with Prince? No, that that was the rock and roll of fame thing with the while my guitar gently whips with Prince just like so many names we're naming of just people dead. Yeah, I know. Don't get in the music or wrestling guys, which is actually it's interesting because you mentioned the last waltz thing with um, you know the Joni Inners concert. Yeah, and the reason I got what you're coming from with this was I used to do a lot of backyard wrestling Mm -hmm. like in high school, and. In our junior year of college, we decided that we're going to do it one last time. Our one, two of our friends were getting married. We're going to do this big last event. Yeah. And me and my friend had a 62-minute long match. Oh, man. <laughs> On a and, trampoline? Yeah, trampoline and <laughs> all over the trampoline place. side. Yeah. Um, it's the dumbest thing ever to say, but like, 
when you say it that way, of just like leaving everything out there, yeah, because you know it's done. Like I get, I get it with that. Well, that's. I mean, I feel like we've had that. I feel like we've had that. Which moment. is the dumbest way of saying it. But. No, but I think it's the perfect way of saying it too, because I think I've had that moment a lot of times on stage, where I think, and I actually feel like I've had this conversation with both of you a lot of times. I feel like. One of the problems I have with playing live music is that I always assume that after I get off stage, after the concert, things are gonna happen. My life will be different, right? And like we played the Yola Tango show, and I was like, we could fucking do anything now. We fucking did it. We stole a show from people and beer from Yola Tango. We stole beer from Yola Tango, <laughs> JP, <laughs> and Joy. maybe maybe play drums. I also stole some beer from Yola Set Tango. List. It's on the internet. It's on the, the internet. That's true. true. I played drums with Yola Tango. Um. I felt like we could do anything we wanted. And then the best show we could get was a second set show a month later at the Outer Space. And I say it's all because you wouldn't put a mailing list. <sighs> fucking mailing, mailing list. Mailing list sheet out at Toads. But I, I've always... Just like this podcast would be something if we engaged on Twitter. <laughs> and me and Mario tried a little bit with social media. Have movement. you been on Twitter? It's a fucking nightmare. No, I've not. Uh, I couldn't imagine. I look on Twitter for like, like certain people's things, nightmare. and then within like two comments, it's gone political, and I'm just like, I'm out. Actually, you know who I focus on a lot on Twitter is Armand White, because my my entry point into the conservative mindset is just how Armand White feels about the new Nicki Minaj video. I like I like Scott Wampler going heavy into this like King's Cast stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, but Scott Wampler's on our side. Well, yeah, he is. Yeah, but I just like. But like he has people yeah. responding to him art. But like every so often he'll just be like he'll just be like what the fuck. Yeah. But then I'll just be like back to like King's Cast, and I'll be like okay, Scott Wampler. So to get back, <laughs> there you go, Scott. I don't Wampler. even know what he we does. What's he? What's he? From? I don't know. I always assumed Why are we every following him? every time I stepped up on stage, I assumed that when I got off stage, my life would be different, like markedly different. See, I never did, and it never was. It never fucking was. And I think one of the reasons I connect to The Last Waltz so much is knowing that they got off stage and they went to a studio like however many years later or weeks later and just made Islands, which is an okay record. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that Robbie Robertson went on to do whatever Robbie Robertson did and the the band went on to kind of, you know, Danko Manuel, uh, Hudson and LeVon Helm went on to kind of do band stuff and they you know did a great cover of Atlantic City but everything was everything was different it's all there on that well LeVon Helm became an actor right two for a while no well LeVon Helm I mean for me he's most known for having his for the Rambles yeah and for having his studio performance space right stuff though I don't know remember him right stuff stuff? yeah I don't remember that what is that um one of my biggest regrets is not going. Not to go to the ramble. ramble. Oh. Did we talk about? We, doing we've it talked once? about. He's a sh- like Sam Shepard's friend in that. Oh okay. He's a yeah, Jack yeah, yeah. Some, Jack Ridley. He's like yeah. in the beginning of the end of the movie. Um, I have a. So- not, uh, I'm not so going sad. To the Black Crows. Not going to any of the Black Crows recording for the until the frost. I feel like Levon Helm died too soon. Until I knew Levon Helm existed, well, I wish Levon Helm would like just do one more, co- like had done one more concert. Those last record, Helm. the um, uh, American Dirt or yeah. Dirt Farmer, Dirt was a Farmer, good yeah. fucking record. That yeah. was a good record. But again, he won he didn't... Grammys, right? Uh, probably. I'm, I mean, Grammys. I think. Okay, I, yeah. know, I know. Electric Dirt. Mm. It was recognized. Electric Dirt. Yeah. It didn't win anything. 
Um, no, it won the first uh, won the first ever Grammy for Americana album. American Dirt Records. Oh, the Grammy. Oh my neck. That came on the goddamn sound. Though. That's on the podcast. <laughs> um, well, I hope so because that was a good one. But that's I can you can feel that disappointment a little bit in the last waltz where they are they are putting everything on the stage and what are they going to get out of oh, it? Oh, he didn't do anything didn't, between dirt from 82 around. to 2007. No, he didn't have to. He was Levon Helm. I mean, I think he was probably also struggling during that time Winter. also. Yeah. Um but I mean, for me, he was just he's Levon. He could he just can do whatever. I mean, they're still doing shows there, and, and Chris Robinson has recorded yeah, yeah, yeah. a record there, and the Black Crows Family's record. kept it going. I love the fucking... I mean, that's the thing. I, one of my bum, big bummer moments, as you just mentioned, was not going to see the Black Crows and they recorded that record. They have a, they have a DVD of, of the record, of a concert, concert film mm-hmm. of there. that stuff, and it's just like 50 people sitting in a room listening to the Black Crows like, play tunes, and the Black Crows go into other rooms and you know they show them playing this it's amazing but those the last waltzes is, is i feel so connected to it because i also we never got to that we i never got to that point we never got to that point i think that our last our 2013 concert was probably as close as we were ever going to get to that moment but actually probably in reality in our in one of our practice spots was the closest we were ever going to get to being really sure. good or, or to being to reaching that heights, and it just it's just gone. It's just a thing that's gone now. And I, th- I wonder if they all kind of experience that, like the night after, like, well, that's that's over. Robbie well, Robertson decided we were done, so now we're done. You know, it's a hard thing. You know, not being alive during that era is, you know, what were the band? Were you beside you? You're. you're well, well, you're like one I was years six old. Six years yeah. old when the last waltz came out. I'm, <laughs> but what were the band before the last waltz in terms of popularity or in terms of notoriety? I mean, yeah, they were Dylan's band. They released their albums. How big were those albums during their time? Well, I got the. I don't know. I get the impression that they were influential. Yes. More than they were like big, right. where people were just like, "Whoa, what the hell is this?" Right. Um, and I get it. Uh, 1960 to 76 is weird. They were a change. working band, basically. Hey, but that's also like, a, it's something I considered this last time when I was watching it and thinking about it, is that like that's a big difference in, in what music was in 1960 to what music was in 1976. Yeah. Um, and they kind of had to grapple with that, I guess. And I guess we should, you know, it's the same thing that people should be having conversations with all the time about like, you know, their grandparents or their great-grandparents were born in one era. And now I'm just like, no, I'm going to Zoom call you. I'm never going to see you again in real life. But we'll You're going to die screen. on one side of the country and I'm going to be here. But I will Zoom call you. We'll see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, there's a little bit like from 1960 to 1976 in music, is a big, that's a big fucking change. And I wonder if that's a lot of it too where they just kind of like couldn't. Right. process that or they weren't willing to go into that next era of music doing the band stuff well they had that tour in the early 70s with Dylan they had the before the, yeah the before, before the flood, flood tour, tour yeah but like by 76 for themselves yeah like Black Sabbath was a thing and the Zeppelin was a thing 
and punk was almost a thing. And so from a, a musical history perspective, it makes sense that the band would just be like, we don't exist anymore. Right. Well, and that's what something I've always had a difficult time with is like, now we know about all these bands. Yeah. You know, but back then, what were people talking about? They were probably talking about the turtles. You right. Know, like, well, one of the things that I've always, and we may have even had this conversation, one of the things, if I ever met Paul McCartney, the thing, the one question I would ever, I would want to ask Paul McCartney is, what did you think of the doors? Right. Because I have no idea. We talked about this. Right. We've, I feel like we've talked about this like a million the, times. In the Velvet Underground. Like, who knew about yeah, the Velvet Underground? Yeah, how would the Beatles process the Velvet Underground? Because they were, I mean, in a lot of ways, there was a contemporaries. Right. They were doing, they were doing, making records at the exact same time. So how did the Beatles process those, or didn't they? Yeah. I don't know. Or, or, or is like the, the, the established history of like, it's just the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Who. And right. then the Kinks kind of just blew the doors off things and, you know, the British invasion and blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't know. What did they think of those bands that were in... What did they think of the MC... Did they even know that the MC5 existed? Right. I don't know. But I think The Last Waltz, from a pivotal standpoint... Again, it was... The minute I saw it, it was my favorite movie. And things... Also on the ones that shows up as your... Sure. Number one. And things change. Obviously. Because it's a concert movie. And I, I think at the time that I saw The Last Waltz, I didn't understand 100% my relationship to concert films. Um, yeah, I, I still don't have... Like, Stop Making Sense is, to me, like the... Stop Making Sense is like the, the movie that comes from Harp or whatever. Uh-huh. The, the Muse one from Wembley, which I don't consider anything. But Stop Making Sense is the closest I get to a concert film that I've ever had any sort of connection with. Um, but I still just see it as a two-hour-long... Talking head show. Talking head show, yeah. Well, that's I. That's uh, well made, like like John Debbie filmed the shit out of that, but. And that's all I've ever seen it as too, which is like yeah, you've seen that, Last Waltz as that. No, no or stop making sense. Stop making sense. Yeah, right. right. Same thing. I was just, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And there's a bunch of concert films that have come after that where I've, where, so I'm going to talk about the Shawshank Redemption later. People who are making lists. We talk about the Shawshank Redemption and. Right before I watched The Shawshank Redemption, I watched Pink Floyd's The Wall or Echo. Oh, yeah. What's the What's the What's the Pink Floyd live album that came out in the long box that had the red dot on it? Oh, Pulse. Pulse. So we were on a band trip to Montreal to to tie it back to Canada. <laughs> We were on a band trip to Montreal to, uh, for high school, for our jazz band. We were competing the competition. This is non, non-waters. This is non-waters, yeah. yeah. So, uh, on the, you know, the VCR on the bus. A red dot on it? So it had a, it had a, uh, it had a power supply. It flashed, and it, oh, yeah. I just see like two eyes. No, it had a, it had a light on it that like would flash. <laughs> okay, got it. In the, in the, inside the box. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and it was a long box. They put on Pulse, and I was just like weirdly mesmerized, but also bored. You know what I mean? Like, this there's no. I had that ring, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's nothing like this in the whole world. And also, I can, I can, you can turn this off whenever you want, because comfortably numb is a stupid song. (laughs) Comfortably numb is a stupid song. 
<laughs> Take that during a Martin Scorsese movie discussion. Yeah. Um, and I, that was like my first real experience with like a, a concert film proper. I had seen stuff before that, which I'd seen music documentaries, which we're going to mm. talk about. Um, before that, and I had like experienced the idea of like a, what a concert film, what, what watching a concert on TV means because of genesis like i don't know if people remember this but they used to play like concerts on television Mm -hmm. like when genesis did their 1992 i can't dance tour they played that maybe it was on pbs i don't know but they played that on a channel it's like on pbs or bravo where you could watch it on a on a a channel and you know we watched that it's like how hamilton was a big deal but it's like that happened all the time in the 90s Yeah, yeah 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 um yeah, they would. Something would be on Broadway, and then they would show it on PBS. Or yeah, like, exactly. For well, like a fundraiser. Even MTV would like they had Guns N' Roses at the Ritz. Sure. It was like holy shit. Or I've got a, showing a whole concert. I've got a, I've got two bootlegs in my collection of one's Pearl Jam from like ninety four, mm-hmm. and one's the Black Crows from like ninety nine, of on radio stations where they, they you know oh we're on this radio station we're playing this live concert from Pearl Jam and like that's you know or the Black Crows or whatever and that stuff's gone I guess because everything's very scheduled now I get emails from the Dave Matthews band all the time because it's I just on, it's first. just on YouTube now like, well just... but you get you'll get email you'll like bands will do it officially but it'll be like sponsored by this winery and sponsored by this clothing manufacturer right. and all this other stuff and before it was just like no we just agreed the Black Crows let us play this thing for no you know for nothing um, where Pearl Jam was playing the show for nothing. Our relationship, our relationship to music has changed a lot, from a consumer standpoint. But from a musician standpoint, my relationship has changed zero. If you and me went on stage a year from now when concerts were allowed, which I actually hope happens, yeah. Um, fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah. I would maybe, assume maybe two years, maybe two years, whatever, yeah. whatever. I would assume that when I, we got off that stage that I would be a hero. And then someone would be like, that was, that was good. And then I would say to myself, like, fuck. Like yeah, I, so at my we've age, always differed on that, because right. it's just like, it's just... It's just a show. It's just but a even, couple hours of people's time. Even at my, my MFA program, they have like a talent night every night. And like my first year, we, we did it digitally this year this semester but the last semester we did it in person and I played uh, full time I think I told you I played full full time reader of maps mm. and a couple a guy played a Steve Earle song and he just kind of like butchered a Steve Earle song there's like all like a uh, butchering of, of, of a blackbird and stuff like that all you those know, people listen to our podcast well maybe they do and I'll say that they played it earnestly and they meant it you right. know what I mean so right. however right. well they played it or not they put everything they had into it Played full time reader of maps and I put like a half of what I felt into it because it's easy, you know what I mean? And I don't care. I'd get up in front of a person and sing any day of the week. I just assumed when I got off of, when I not even there wasn't even a stage. I assumed when I went to sit back down that I would be like, full time reader of maps is the greatest song ever written, and you performed it in the greatest way that you could perform it. And it was just like people were like, that was good. I like singer-songwriter things. And I was just like, fuck. Like, it's it's just... It's not there. And I think I blame The Last Waltz. Because 
it was clear that you can achieve transcendence in a concert. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was the first time it was clear to me that you can have a moment. Actually, it might even be the only time. Maybe every concert I've went to since I've watched The Last Waltz, I've been like searching for that one moment in the concert where you can be like, well, that it, is yeah. above all things. Right. Where you want the build-up to this last chorus of The Night the Drove All Dixie Down, where you want the uh, Jimmy One More Time, where you want like the last riffs of Ophelia to just kind of rip. You know what I mean? Where you want just ruin the... you, yeah. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. And every time I listen to that stuff, I'm just like, I'm never going to get there. To the point where I've thought to myself, like, we should do a con- we should do like a tribute to the Last Waltz and play a show at Cafe Nine, yeah. where we invite some people to come play and be certain characters and like do the thing. But I'm just like, it's never going to fucking happen. Like, even if we did that, even if we got famous people to come and do that, even if the Yo- even if Yola Tango has a positive memory of us and it was like yeah we'll come and do a version of whatever of dry your eyes because they're ironic of you know and it would yeah. just it would not it would not but hit the same way can i just say you know i i know you feel that way about every performance but i i'll give you i'll say this <laughs> when we opened for yola tango and we opened no wonder was at the time our opener, and then we went immediately into that next song, whatever it is. Uh, uh, the our distance apart. Yeah, yeah. But it was like no stop. No we, stop. Yeah. When we did that at Toads before Yola Tango, when we went boom, boom, right yep. into the next song, everybody in that place pushed forward. Moved, yeah. pushed forward to the stage. It's never gonna get better than. We that. almost had it. Like we almost no, fucking had that, it. That was it. I that was real, it. I felt it too. I felt. Yeah. It. I mean, I, you were there, Mario. Mm-hmm. There was, there was a moment. There was a couple of times during that set where I thought I was like, "Yeah, we did it." Like everyone said, "I need to pay attention." Yes. Yeah. So and that's all you is, can hope for, but you can't be like your life's gonna change. Or, but I do, man. I do, and I blame the last waltz. I blame it, and because that mo- that was fuck two- you, source case. That was 2011. You know what all those people so are I had not- They're saying, "Where's the mailing list to yeah. sign up for this band?" <laughs> I want to buy a fucking t-shirt. They have a Twitter. But I had nine years between seeing the last waltz and that to kind of process like what having a transcendent concert experience. Is that 2011? Must be like. Yeah, that's, that's nine years now. ago that you low tango show. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna die tomorrow. Um, but that's but it's it's that's that's music for me. I and I can't like I've had that even in the three way duel when me and when me and Dane and Lenny were playing like all over the fucking place. I assumed that every show was gonna not be, only be forty three. <laughs> I assumed that every show was gonna be like the greatest show, and they just weren't. And every show we had to make compromises, and every single show was just like a good show and not caravan. And not the opening of Up on Cripple, Cripple Creek. And right. up and not the build up to the their own Dixie Den. And not even like Don't Do It. I remember you and the, like the Joyner Winners playing a Don't Do It Who version yeah, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and me being like, this sucks. Like, why are we even doing this? Like, let's just do it the, the last waltz way or don't do it. Like, why even bother doing this? I don't but we that. still do it. No, well, I mean, I barely remember it either because we were fucking here. <laughs> uh, 
Playing music sucks. No, it's the best. It's a, it is the best. Play to play. But that's why you should. That's else. why all our listeners should just do pro wrestling, because then you know. You well, because destroy your brain, and then the you won't know At what's going on. At least you have that moment in pro in, in wrestling where your body's gonna hit the mat, and you're gonna have that fucking jolt in your body. You know what I mean? No. We, we can play. Like I remember that last. What was the last show we played? Cafe, Cafe Nine. Yeah, that little fucking whatever, whatever the space became. Oh yeah, the final final draft. Yeah, now it's something else. Well, but apparently that was really good, but I couldn't hear anything. Well, no, no one was there to witness it. But we did a great full time reader of maps. We did a great. Um... Does this just show you told me about the day of it happening? Maybe. Uh, then you're like, can you come to this thing tonight? I was like, no. There was you nobody told there me today. And I, and and the guy whose amp I use, Ben Erickson, I use his amp, and he was like, it was cool hearing my amp like from the from the audience instead of the stage. I was like, I couldn't hear anything. It was so loud. I feel like I'm gonna die. <laughs> and he was like, it sounded so good. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it sounded. Yeah. My one experience just like doing music a couple times on stage was just like, I hated it. This wasn't fun. It's uh, it's uh, a thing that it wasn't I, fun for the sense of like it just wasn't for me. But right, but the music thing, just isn't my thing. And it's weirdly my thing, but I also hate. I also hate it. I hate my relationship to it, and that's why like I, I'm in an ambient music phase now, because it's because like, Johanna Johansson's dead, so you gotta like, take over for him. Well, I just I just bought that record. I just bought one of his <laughs> records like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The one we used uh, on the in on the Bergman episode, on the Persona episode. Mm-hmm. I, I just bought that record. And it's Was that him? amazing. That's him? Yeah. Okay. But I love playing informally practices. I know. Just just to play it always felt like when we were playing out, stakes were high and things wouldn't go as well as you would hope. No, and we've ruined and we, we know we can we both know why and yeah we've ruined the world a bunch of times right. in a basement somewhere or in right. a warehouse space but like on stage it's always compromised somehow every you know fucking what's the song um light rain orion always sounded like the greatest rock song in the history of the world, world beer if you want another beer <laughs> until we played it at that shelton recording studio right you know what i mean and that was four years after I saw The Last Waltz. And I was definitely aware of it. <laughs> Maybe now that I've had this conversation, we've had this conversation about it, like the next time we play it won't be that way. But it, <laughs> it'll probably be that way. So, yeah. All right. That's it. 21. 21. I've res- uh, 20, I've res- 22, I think. No, I've resigned myself to the 21. It's finally 21? 21, Mario. Are you sure about that? If you re- to twenty. Down to twenty. If you resigned yourself to twenty one, <laughs> you can tell us on at Film Pivotal. Or you can uh, Why would you do that though? Resign yeah, I know. Twenty two is great. No, why would you resign yourself to just like twenty one years like twenty? I know, be twenty two. I resign myself to forty six. Forty six would be good. It's a it's a Biden reference. In what regard? He'd be the forty sixth president. You have resigned yourself to forty six. Actually, I would argue you resigned yourself to 47. No, I'm not saying resigned. I'm saying I'm, I'm excited for 46. No, no, I'm saying like you've... But to resign yourself to 46, you have to be resigned yourself to 47. Well, because 47 is going to happen. 47 is going to happen. And I'll be... I'll actually be That's cool fine. with it. 
Yeah. Have you watched? Yeah, I watched Did it. Did you watch her thing yesterday? Yeah. She sounded good. I'm good with it. Yeah. I, I hope she she either comes around or gets primaried, but I'm coming around with it. Yeah, she'll be good. Yeah. I don't know if she'll get ten years, but she'll be good. She does six and then drops and then steps aside. That's my guess. She does a a Lyndon Johnson, but not for lack of popularity. Actually, I'm not making this prediction right now because I was certain Trump was going to lose, which he did. Trump lost the election. Yeah. But our bullshit system let him win because the Constitution's fucking garbage. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I quote uh, me on that. And if I ever run for political office, I will double down. I felt uh, very. Wow, we love the Constitution. This 300 year old, not 300, but this. 240-year-old piece of paper is really strong. Yeah, it's time. It's enough with the original. <laughs> it's enough with the original Constitution. Yeah, Scalia's dead. We if can move you on. Have, but I even think Anton Scalia would be at, you know, some of these things would be like, well, yeah. <laughs> Scalia, Scalia would have put a bullet in his brain by this point, to be honest. Well, he'd be like, I'm not sure what you guys are talking about. So, you know, it doesn't matter. All right, if you have any thoughts about Anton Scalia... I'm surprised Alito hasn't killed himself at this point, to be honest. But Alito's fucking crazy! I wasn't he's expecting the, that. But he's the most Republican, Republican yeah, it's on insane. that fucking thing. He's the most Like, Clarence Thomas was the crazy one, but now Alito's the crazy one. Right. When that, wouldn't that happen? <laughs> Alito was, like, just the guy who was like, I guess I'm the Republican? This is where me and Mario, after we, we close this episode, go downstairs and argue about the Supreme, yeah. <laughs> the Supreme Court for half an hour. <laughs> Uh, if you have something to say about the Supreme Court or the last waltz or any concert films, as long as it's the right thing to say, yeah, uh, you can email yeah. us at pivotalfilmpodcast@gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com where I promise this week I will update the fucking website. I will fucking do it. I promise. Really quickly, JP, do you have anything to plug? No. <laughs> How many times have I said that? I think no, I said that like no. no. I've, I've asked. I think I've asked him like. Twice before. Come Do you on, have anything to plug? to plug? I'll plug. Uh, anything. Viet, anything you love. Anything. Tom Six. Oh. Viet Tom Six. That was a good oh. time, JP. I heard, I heard Leah Thompson at first. I was like, yeah, I plugged that. Leah Thompson for some reason. I mean, I plug it in the sense of Leah Thompson's awesome. Well, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. So the last, I mean, Viet Tom Six was after you and me both had kids. That's why the I mentioned first kids. It. And I wrote a bunch of songs. I think it was like, still before that. It was right after Vague Before Trade. the second ones. It was before the second one. Before, yeah. before it was the, after the before first the peanuts, peanuts child, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm not naming names. I so. wrote a bunch of songs real quick and went to my friend Joe's house where he had a studio. And we just recorded. And I was like, JP, this is how the song goes, and he was yeah. just like, okay, the, the day, good, the day before. Here now, the, here's ladies, really panel. quickly, no children. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want kids, move on. That was a good fuck. <laughs> that and that was a good. That was it. I mean, those were good fucking times. I just and I don't even know what those songs would sound like in other versions. All I know is Midwest, one of my top ten yeah, favorite too. songs ever. And I just walked around New Haven on my lunch break listening to it on my headphones saying, this didn't exist three days I, ago. I felt the same way. I was like, I can't believe like we did this. Yeah. Like me and JP fucking did this out of nowhere. We that's just like, fucking did it. That's like me listening to episode 98 when you like made the perfect segue from... Green Room into um, Robert, whatever. Who's the, who's the guy that sings our song? Robert Pollard. Robert Pollard. Mm-hmm. Like he's like really what are not not rights or the eight rights one two three. But I was like, oh, this is good. Oh yeah, that was a good one. I, I, listen, I, I listened to that 
every so often going like that, that's perfect. Like that's our podcast. In but the that's you know, the pod. I mean, we don't we don't we're at two twenty five now. We don't need to talk about this a lot more. Jesus Christ. Um, we're I, not on it follows numbers. I yet. love that episode because I love the green room, and I hadn't seen it, and I was just like, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, the green room. So, movie Green Room? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you so, had Up to that point, there's, I Yeah, there's four movies you hadn't seen in this podcast. We've seen three. Mm-hmm. Next week is the last one, I think. Yeah. Um, and you do not like two of them. Well, uh, I didn't mind It Follows. I just thought it took itself too seriously. Um, you just have a real hard-on for hating Make a Monroe. What was the other one I didn't like? The Guest. I like the guests. It's just not a good. It's not a good movie. Again, I don't know how many times I can say this. The image of Dan Stephen throwing two grenades into a restaurant is burned into my memory forever. I saw that face of like, there's grenades. There is a new Dan. What's the new Dan Stevens movie? Oh, I know what you're talking about. I remember. And he's in it, and I was just like, we should. We gotta fucking watch this Dan Stevens movie. And even my wife was just like, yeah, I'll watch a Dan Stevens movie. He's like, I don't think you want to watch this movie. And she was just like, I'll watch it. It's Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is king. If you are Dan Stevens, please email us at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. And you, you, might, you might be stuck on the same episode with Lawrence Kasdan. If Dan Stevens and Lawrence Kasdan respond to us, you're coming on the same episode. All right. So to tie this episode together to everything that we've ever been talking about, the way that I got... The way we opened for Yola Tango was Yola Tango was doing a tour and I just sent them a letter. A paper letter. Because I had a P.O. box. I just sent them, I mailed them a letter and they emailed me. Their manager emailed me and was like, would you like to open for Yola Tango? And I was like, do you remember this day? And I was just like, holy well, fucking we're, shit. We're at episode, we're episode 21. Like, this, this is the, the, we're at the crest. Like, this is the roller coaster ride down. Yeah, do yeah. we send a paper letter to Lawrence Kasdan? No. Because paper letters don't exist anymore. Because it's 2020 and that was 2011. Because we destroyed the post office. Yeah. So, I remember you texting me. I was sitting in my condo in Middletown in the basement with my primitive phone. And you're like, you're not going to believe this. I'm sad that I lost that text stream. Me too, man. You're like... Ira responded to me. I can imagine Chris's Ira, response. I can not, imagine not Chris's response was like, that's cool. <laughs> Who's Yolo Tango? He knew. He fucking knew. Though. He's just a prophet. He knew the whole time. Yeah. But that's the thing. So do I think that if I emailed Dan Stevens and Lawrence Kasdan somehow through their representatives that they would come on this podcast? Fuck yeah, I believe that they would do that. A hundred percent that they would believe that. And do I think that Dan Stevens would have a long, detailed conversation about like, his motivations and choices for like her smell. Yup. 100%. Because he's fucking Dan Stevens. He's the king. He is. I'm not. Uh, there's nothing else to add. I'm not. I'm like being sarcastic. I'm just. I'm just like, Watch a Dan Stevens movie. Not Beauty and the Beast. It's not that great. <laughs> he's fine in it. You know what's the weird thing about Beauty and the Beast? Watch a Dan Stevens movie. Any movie you want. Or a Lawrence Kansas movie that's called French Kiss. Only French Kiss. We'll talk to you next week.